what is going on everybody that's how the guest of today's episode starts his youtube videos is not just one of the best python educators not just the best machine learning educators but also someone who's built amazing projects in public also someone who is really a teacher of the top down learning approach uh, the syndex harrison kinsley I'm so excited to be releasing this episode. We talk about Harrison's journey as a founder, as an entrepreneur, even through the early days of running an online business by selling in-game cash in his childhood, to today running a YouTube channel. His journey as an educator, his journey as a content creator, his journey as an author. We also discuss his book, which I highly recommend. We also discuss how the R&D happens at these index labs. our friends at nvidia were kind enough to help make this podcast happen we also discuss how the dgx box has been helping him and uh, i also got an early peek at gan theft auto do check that video out if you haven't if you want to know more about the dgx station please check out my interview with charlie boyle i also have one small message for everyone uh, i know this took a little longer that's because i had a back injury uh, the message i have for everyone is uh, i recently lost a good amount of weight about uh, 80 pounds 35 kgs if i'm doing the conversion right and i always assumed my back pain was associated with my weight but turns out that's not the case i've recently learned about working out and turns out uh, maintaining good posture while working out is also really important i'm sure you would be doing this but if you aren't please please look at some tutorials on youtube on how to do the exercises in the correct fashion and also please consider investing in a good chair unlike me who used to just grab a dining chair earlier uh this was quite expensive but i think it's worth it for the long term this is not sponsored by the way please take care of your back and please watch sendex's videos towards the end he says don't worry just code so please don't worry just code just do data science go watch sendex's videos they'll provide a lot of value to you and if you enjoyed this episode please consider leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice or a comment on youtube or simply connect with me on twitter you can find the links in the show notes for now here's my conversation with the sendex harrison kinsley please enjoy the show i'm really excited and it's it's really an honor to be speaking to the sent dex harrison kinsley harrison thank you so much for saying yes to my request uh, sure thanks for having me so i have so many things i could possibly ask you but i want to take you back to your early days of uh, starting as an entrepreneur if i may you were selling in game cash for a game called dunscape uh, how, can you tell us more about that journey how did you start uh, in the world of business and uh, selling stuff online yeah sure um yeah it depends how far back you want to go but uh yeah i just i got good at buying and selling things in in this game and uh and so i made a lot of money doing that and then i used to go to these i don't know if they even exist nowadays this things called like lan arcades and mm-hmm. you would just go and hang out and like i would just like log into my account and like people would see it and then people would start like offering like to to buy it cuz you could just trade over the gold right and so so i started to find out this was like the first time i realized that you could like make money on like computers cuz even at this time like by the time i started really selling i think maybe was 
2004, 2005, it might've been a little later than that, but somewhere around there where this was kind of like a foreign concept to like somehow be making money online, especially as a kid. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so like, that's kind of how it all, it all got started. And that was really the first time that, like I said, like I realized like you could actually like make a business and like, and like earn a living on computers and like, for sure, like my parents like totally did not understand this concept. And like, they, <laughs> like, they, like, they really wanted me to go out and get like a real job, um, earning like $5 an hour, but I was making like $20 an hour playing video games, you know, as a so, kid in, in his uh, early teens. Yeah. Yeah. And they, so they would like, like they started at one point, they decided I was just spending way too much time on the computer. So, um, they just, they told me, well, you have to bring your hours down. So they would let me spend maybe like two hours a day on the computer. And, um, this obviously was not enough. I wanted to spend more time and, it, and it was, it was fun. Like I was playing the game, but I also, to me, it was so clear that I was working, but like to them, it was like, this can't be work. This will never, like, you could never put this on a resume. You could never get a job like this, you know, but anyway, so they brought my time down. And so to like remedy that, so it was mostly a cash business selling the, the gold. I mean, there was PayPal, but for the most part, people would, you would just exchange cash at like the land arcade. <laughs> so, um, and people would be, people would like text you and be like, Hey, I need more gold. I'm sure if my parents ever saw my text, they would think I was drug dealing or something and gold was, <laughs> meant something else entirely. But uh, anyway, so, so I, I had all this cash and so I just rode my bicycle to Best Buy and I bought a laptop and a wireless router and I hooked that up to the modem and like my parents, like everything nice and clean. So the modem was actually like tucked away in like the worst place ever for a modem, but it was in a cabinet. So I just like, I took the router and I put the router in the cabinet and I, it was good enough to make it to my bedroom. So I had a laptop and then the wireless router and all that to the computer in my bedroom. And so I just carried on my working <laughs> in my bedroom and then, and that worked for a, a few years until my parents, somebody, one day I come home from school, I get off the school bus, I go up, I'm getting ready to go to work. And I <laughs> used to keep the laptop like in a drawer. So I like opened the drawer and the laptop was missing <laughs> and immediately I knew oh, no. I was like, Oh no, they found the laptop. <laughs> so that was the end of your first business. If I may. Um, I, I don't remember. I, I definitely was grounded for some time and I don't remember. I don't actually remember the full ramification. Like it was pretty quick. I think at some point my parents, like, especially at that moment, my parents um, started, like they got more interested in what are you actually doing here? And they started to learn more that like I was actually making a living doing it. They, they still thought it was important that I would go get like, like I did have, a summer job at, uh, as like a waiter's bartender kind of thing at like a country club. And then I was also a waiter and bartender at, uh, like a restaurant for a little bit. So I did do those things, but, um, but I think at some point they started to realize that, Oh, you actually like this, maybe this is the future. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It took them a while, but, um, yeah, I, like, I, I know they took the laptop away and I know they took, like, I was probably grounded for some period of time, but then I don't recall like it always being an issue that I was fighting them, but I think somewhere around there it kind of started to, to fade away. But, but uh, and in, in one of your Q and A's, you mentioned at that time, just to make some side cash, you were also waiting tables and that place just went out of business and you decided that mm -hmm. uh, I should just probably take over and start taking care of my website by myself. Yeah. How so, 
when I was in college, I was also working as a waiter. And then I was also doing, I was still somewhat in that, the video game stuff. But by and, then, I'm sorry I, for the audience. Uh, I, I imagined you would have gone to Stanford or MIT just to study development for the audience. Can you, can you uh, tell us what your major was? Yes. Yeah, well, so I first, so I had no idea, like, what did I want to go to school for? And again, I think I've kind of, um, I've just never really done, like, I, I just, I've always tried to think through like, what do I really want to do rather than just kind of like going through the motions. But with college, it was like, well, you, you have to go to college. And I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I just picked criminal justice as my major. And then I basically did pretty much all of the required classes for that major in like the first year and a half. And by after that first year and a half, I just realized I, I don't like this. And then um, by then it was just too late. Might as well keep the major. But then I decided to double major in philosophy. So then I did that. And um, obviously there's no like direct career for philosophy other than maybe law school or you could like take it to business or you could be like a philosophy professor or like the, the career prospects for philosophy are definitely short. So, um, but I was interested, like I liked reading, like I liked reading philosophy. I liked the critical thinking aspect of it. I liked the debate and argumentative aspect to it. So I just ended up going with that. And I think that was before I, before I lost the job as a waiter, but that, that basically that all kind of happened around the same time in college, like sophomore ish year. And uh, you picked up the book. Uh, I, I probably should start by asking you. At, uh, I think in your university, you did a few courses on economics, and that's how the idea of Sendex came together. Can you can you tell us more about that? And what did you have in mind when you created the channel name Sendex and the website? Right. So so yeah, getting back to the obviously the the RuneScape stuff. Um, initially, that was you would like trade players, like man, like you would manually trade another player for things. And then I would just, you know, this is the stereotypical buy low, sell high kind of thing. And then I don't know when I can't, I don't know the year it came out, but eventually this like exchange came out for the game where it's like a stock market ish where you could like buy and sell stuff at this exchange. And it was much quicker, much higher volume, kind of lower margins. And that was kind of my first understanding of like playing like market trends and paying attention to news. It was all video game stuff, but kind of similar ish. And so from there, then um, kind of like my first internet business that wasn't just buying and selling like gold basically became um, selling like tools and advice for investing in that video game. And then somewhere around there, I just decided like, I just, I didn't like being um, tied to that game. Like at any point, especially if you're selling gold, like it's against the terms of service, like you you could just get banned. Right. <laughs> and, and like at some point I think you have to grow up. So, um, so I, I wanted to get into the next thing was like stocks. Like I was just, I, I've just always been like drawn to like just data and like finance was always kind of like a great field for there's lots of data that you can play with things and you get like instantaneous results in terms of like were you right or wrong and stuff. So I was just always like drawn towards that. So yeah, like I, I took some economics classes and stuff. And then I decided, you know, I, I started trading like manually, like day trading and um, just kind of like recognize, like I'm sure many people do that like news plays a huge factor in like stocks going up and down. And then I just started to wonder if, you know, like if you could like somehow have like a, 
you know, a moving average of, of like sentiment, right? <laughs> I didn't know yeah. there was a, a word for it. And I think even back when I started Sentex, I'm not really sure, like their sentiment analysis definitely was coined by somebody before I started messing with it, but it was a pretty like young concept at that time, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And at that point, I didn't know how to program or anything. Like I had wanted to learn how to program. I had tried to learn how to program when I was like 15 and stuff. And I just like could not figure it out. Like it just didn't make sense to me. <laughs> and so, so I just never learned. And, and then when I thought about this, I was like, well, this is definitely a programming task. And like at the time I had been paying somebody to do like the web development stuff and programming stuff, but he did not like this kind of stuff. He was just, he, it was just, he, he wasn't even, he wasn't interested in it. So he was never going to learn how to do this stuff. So then I was like, well, I guess I could, tr I'll try this programming thing again. But yeah, that was again, like sophomore year in college <laughs> that I did that. Gotcha. I'll probably come back to this topic about how do you go about learning all of this stuff. But before that, I have a heavy question on my heart. I'm a biker. You started your channel by uploading a video of yourself uh, riding along Highway 143. What happened to that? Why did you trade that bike for Lego? <laughs> it was a lot of Lego. It was a good deal. <laughs> I, it, I made money on that deal. And then I bought, I bought another motorcycle. So I bought a better motorcycle from that deal. So, yeah, I think that was it. One, I think it was, it was like highway. I think it was highway 149 or something. I, I can't remember for sure, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I liked, I, what kind of bike do you have? I have a 160 CC, uh, super bikes don't make sense in India. It'll probably just go off the road. At least me, I just <laughs> go off the road. Are, are they even legal? Like, can you, cause I uh, seem to recall like for sure in like Europe and stuff, I think like a lot of those like super sports aren't even like legal bikes or is, maybe it's Asia or something. Uh, I mean, people do have them here, but we're pretty flexible about the regulations. Like I'm always driving on the wrong side of the road. I, I've got a few speeding tickets at this point. So I am not the best person to ask. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think on like the street, you really don't like, I really, I think my favorite motorcycle um, for like riding on the street was the one that I sold was that like 650. And even that's uh, a lot, but it was, I think it was like, it was just a more comfortable, like if I ever got back into motorcycles, I would like to have like a dual sport. So you can, uh, like, I would just ride it two trails and stuff like that. Um, Makes sense. The sport bikes were fun. And like, I did, like I did some track days and stuff with sport bikes, but it, there, there's just like the penalty, the downside risk of motorcycles. It's, it's definitely like one of those young man, things where mm. you just i think you're like underestimating <laughs> the risk or something and so uh yeah i, I think I eventually yeah I, I don't think i'll ever actually get a sport bike again i still miss them that there breaks a lot of my heart <laughs> yeah yeah if i had like a private track maybe but even then like i don't know how much more digging you've done but like i i got into cars after that and um the thing with car, like you can actually push, right? And if you go off and you go into the grass in your car, like it's okay. You like still you're, good. yeah, you're fine. You you get back on track and you're good to go. And and like no, it doesn't matter. I mean, some the worst case scenario is you hit a wall or something, and now you got to fix the car. But at least you don't have to fix your body. I mean, like obviously there are some times where you could have a bad enough crash where you would. But like on the motorcycle, man, it's like almost every time. Or and like I like at the motorcycle, just track days where people are just having, just going out to have a fun time. No one's racing at, like every event, somebody was getting taken away in the ambulance. 
I, I think in all of my like car track days, I'm, I'm probably motorcycles. I did maybe 10 or 15 total, you know, track days. Whereas in cars, I probably done like, I don't, a hundred might be the number. I don't, I don't know exactly, but, but a lot. And I think I've seen the ambulance like one time take someone away and, and they were in far better condition than like every motorcyclist that ever got taken away. So it's just, I don't know. I think there, it's just, it's almost just as fun and you can, you can push yourself harder. So it's still, um, so, so for that reason, I think it's fun, but there is something special about like being out in a motorcycle, like, you know, that close to the elements and like, it's very I don't know. Addictive as well. Like I would just find the lamest mm-hmm. excuse to go on a ride. Like these days I'm not going out because uh, we're in the pandemic, but it's, it's very addictive due to some reason. Yeah. Yeah. There is, there's just something special about like the two wheels and like just being in the open air. I mean, I, I get it, but also people are, it's just so dangerous. And like, I don't know, like even, even not ignoring like the track days, I don't know. I, I think I had motorcycles for four years. I don't know. None of my other friends never crashed, right? Like everyone has crashed their motorcycle and or has been hit or something right and or let me ask you like have you ever crashed i did have fun accident and uh like any indian driver i'd say it wasn't my fault and it wasn't at least from my perspective but just once and it luckily right. it wasn't well doesn't but that's the whole point and that's why like, like that's the that was always like before i got into riding motorcycles um like my parents were you know, like, you know, Hey, we think you'll be safe, but you got to pay like it's other drivers too, you know? And that's, I think that's your biggest risk really is other drivers and like potholes or other stuff. Like if you ride at night, you know, there's been plenty of times where I'm riding at night and it was, you know, maybe you're going 60 or 70 where there's no way your head, your headlights are not going to catch the pothole yeah. before you catch the pothole. So yeah, I think there's just certain things. And then now, as I got into like cars and understood more of like, I never took care of my motorcycle myself. I did like oil changing and stuff like that, but nothing like serious. And then, um, and with cars, I did a little bit more of like my own work. And I just like started to realize in your garage as well. And I I think you mentioned you (laughs) want to start a channel, but just because it's so hard, I, I can imagine how hard it is just to film all of that stuff. Well, it's also, yeah, it's hard to film that stuff. And it's also, um, I think it's important, especially like today, like I think more and more people are like their whole life is content. And like, if anything can be content, then it's going to become content. (laughs) And I think you have to be really careful of that because like, yeah, like when I do like track days or like the, the racing thing, like I did, I did one video of one of the races that I did and I like that. And I like, I like going back and watching that video because it's like, I, I, it like helps me to remember that awesome time same reason why anybody takes like photos you know so i like i do like that but what i want to like record every time i went mm-hmm. everywhere and like really even that track day or the race video that was just me narrating it later because there's always a dash cam and a rear cam running in the race car anyways so it's like you know i could just i could do that and it wasn't like ruining my event like at the event at the race i spent no time talking to a camera i wasn't i was just focused on having like that event and, and enjoying that time Whereas like, I think like, especially like, yeah, like working on cars or doing other stuff, any of my other hobbies, I kind of want to just enjoy them by myself or with my wife or whoever I'm with, instead of like trying to monetize like every aspect of of my life. But I I get it, like why people do it. But yeah, I think you have to like protect sections. 
for the audience i think it was the 10th or 11th q and a where uh, harrison has this style of is like thumbnail and the other one is called i think what it what is it like to race uh, on a track day i'll have those linked in the description but what i was trying to allude to and uh, just as you mentioned you later on narrated this did you always enjoy this camera presence you did mention that you're introvert and this doesn't feel as intimidating to you but did you always in retrospect enjoy teaching uh, you've taught us a lot through your channel yeah um no i don't think i was really i can't think of a time i mean other than like like i mean like the the like tools and advice thing for like the runescape stuff was kind of like teaching but not really and yeah i'm like totally um i'm 100% introverted and like i wouldn't necessarily say i'm absolutely like antisocial but i just don't like um like there's in general social things will drain me rather than like fill me with energy sometimes they do and like especially like if we're going out with people like maybe like one other people you know one other person or up to like three but after that like if we're in a group of like six or more it's just like all i'm hearing is just noise like the worst place in the world to me is like going to like a bar with mm-hmm. like six or seven people i like i i can't hear what anyone i honestly like it just all sounds like white noise to me at that point and i just i just kind of sit back and drink <laughs> at that point so yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, when I'm like, when I'm like filming a tutorial or something like that, like, it's not like you're actually um, conversing with 10,000 people or however many people are eventually going to watch a, a video. And the same thing, I think the same thing would be true if you were like up on a stage too, though. Like I don't, that I might get like jitters before I would get up or something, but that's not the same. I don't think is like, I don't know. There's something different. Like if you're, if you're up on a stage or you're in front of the camera, like, you're already like, I don't know, uh, in charge or something. There's no, there's not actually a conversation happening. So, or there's not like an inner, there's really not an interaction. It's just like a one-way street, I think, or I, I don't know how to explain it, but, but I definitely like, I just don't, um, I guess when I think that I'm like introverted, it's more of like, I just don't seek out trying to like go out and party or like be in big groups of people, stuff like that. Um, or, and I don't need it except for like COVID was kind of weird for me because like, I, like for the first like four months, I'm like, this is fine. And then <laughs> at some point I'm like, okay, we have to go out and like, like I'm dying here. You know, <laughs> like I had the exact same in. experience. I had the exact same experience. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I definitely have limits for sure. And like, I started to like miss my family and stuff like that. Like I'm sure everybody did, but yeah. And uh, just the fact that I was trying to point out to was you've built this amazing community and uh, you mentioned there's not a lot of interaction, but uh, as I was combing through all of the comments, I realized you do answer quite a lot of the questions and uh, at least the ones that you find interesting from whatever date, I'm sure you just spend a good amount of your day just uh, trying to interact with your community. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I pretty much read, um, I read every comment. I don't necessarily respond to every comment. Um, and like, I see people like say that you shouldn't read comments and stuff. I, I think maybe just in general, the comments are pretty, I, I would say like 98% of comments are qual- like good comments. Like if you're not reading your comments, um, I don't know. I get a lot of uh, good feedback and like positive messaging and like that kind of stuff. Like I, I think reading the comments is beneficial. And then especially like when I started out, 
I would like, I would learn a lot, like from what people would say, or they would correct things or um, be like, Hey, have you heard of this? Like, and I, I, that's still happening where like, especially like when we get, like when we did the book, for example, basically kind of checked out for a year. Like I wasn't really paying attention to anything that's going on in the world. And, um, and so it was, it was kind of useful to like, when I come back, I've, there's like certain comments where people have asked multiple times, have you seen X, Y, Z thing? And then I'm like, okay, so I, at least I know what to go look for next, you know? And so like, I think in terms of like getting good ideas and, um, or just feeling good, like when you read comments, there's a lot of positivity there. So I don't know why people always say, don't read your comments, but, but sometimes there are some crazy comments, uh, or like really rude or just, um, just crazy comments, but I, I think you just have to ignore those or you can, you can right click and hide that user from the chat. Like there's so many things, like, just don't, you don't have to read it. You can just remove it. Like you don't have to spend any time on them if you don't want to. So, um, yeah, but I, even in that scenario, I don't know. I don't think it's kind of like lots of people are active on like Reddit or Twitter. Um, but they're probably, they, that doesn't mean that they're like super, um, extroverted in real life it's yes. probably yeah. the opposite <laughs> that's my guess for sure i, I tweet like uh, every five seconds and <laughs> if put me in a room with people I, I probably wouldn't have a good time having a conversation yeah yeah and, I, and again i think the diff i think what makes what makes it different is like in in person like your exchanges are like like when someone says something you have to immediately reply like you're going back and forth quickly whereas like if you're tweeting or making a comment or making a reply to a comment or you're filming a video like you're uh i don't know how to how to phrase it but like you're it's not the same it's just not the same like you have plenty of like there's time to think about what to say or how you want to phrase something or like you don't have to like think that much quickly about how you want to interact with somebody i guess i I don't know. I don't know how to put it into words, but it's it's definitely different. It's different different than like talking to somebody in real life for sure. Talking about, uh, I'll use this as a segue. Talking about uh, recording videos, you've put together so many, if I may, courses, uh, tutorials, thousand plus videos. Uh, it was really hard to just scroll through it because I was just running out of RAM and as I was trying to find all of your videos. And uh, the thing I learned through, I think one of your Q&A was, uh, it's all organic audience that you're getting. So was there ever a vision for the channel you're building or how did you want to really put all of this together? Uh, it for you has uh, fortunately worked out very well in terms of supporting yourself as well. But uh, I think on Reddit, you mentioned that it was never the intention that you want to use this as a marketing channel of some sorts. <laughs> um, you Well, I kind of did like when I first started, the thought was, and that's where the Sentex name comes from is sentiment index. And that was for Sentex.com, which was the uh, stock sentiment analysis, which later became also um, like politics and then like geographic sentiment. Um, so I started off the channel thinking, here's what I'll do. I'll share with people um some of the things that I've learned as I'm programming, because especially like nowadays, I feel sorry for anybody who wants to try to start a YouTube channel teaching Python because there's like the competition is so high. I mean, there's just so many people doing the same thing as each other that you, I don't know how you could separate or be, be different. But at the time there was like uh, Bucky at the new Boston and 
no one else. I mean, there was, mm. there would be like random channels doing random things, but really no good source. And like, even the videos that I was finding on, like, I just want to read a CSV file. Like how, how can I read a CSV file? <laughs> like that was it. And you really couldn't find good information on like how to do that either on YouTube or um, in text form. And so, I mean, I'm sure it existed, but it just, there was no good source for it. And when you would, when I would find them, at least like I was not like, I didn't go to school for CS or anything related to doing programming. So I didn't know anything. And so all I wanted to do was like, Hey, I figured out how to do this cool thing with this language that I learned. Um, I just want to share it with people who are, who are like me, who, when they go and they're hearing all these terms like attribute and stuff, like, I don't know what that means. And um, I can help people like be more productive and do cool things. So that was kind of like, and, and while I did that, I could just kind of sort of plug sendex.com because we would wind up doing a lot of finance related stuff and like it would be related. So I thought maybe that's all it would be it was just like, I could just share some of this stuff and then um, sort of get some marketing on the side for sendex.com possibly. And then um, I just kept, it just kept evolving from there. Like I just kept like anytime I would like learn a new thing, I would go on YouTube and just kind of like share, Hey, here's what I learned. Here's how to do it. And I think part of the reason for the success was because it was so fresh to me. And because I like had the like complete newcomers perspective, it was just people could actually come to my videos and, and learn the thing that the title said. And so I think that it just kind of like worked out. That really wasn't like a grand master plan. It just, that, that's just what happened. <laughs> and, and uh, so basically that's, that's pretty much all I've continued to do is I just share videos on whatever I'm interested in. So if I'm interested in something, I'll research it. I'll try to learn it. If I do figure it out, then I'll share it. But, and it's definitely evident, like when I try to like go back and do like, like revisit Flask or revisit Django or revisit the Python three basics. There's no question that like I miss things because it's like, Oh, I, I just, it's so obvious to me now, like why this makes sense or why you would do X, Y, Z. But you know, when I was first getting started, it really wasn't. So I was good at teaching those things back then because it was just fresh. Like I understood the newcomer's perspective and so like now I'm probably like the tutorials, like with Python three basics, if I tried to make one today, it would be probably very similar to my struggle initially where I'm like, I don't know what those words mean, man. You know, like you got to go back, you got to go even more basic, you know, but now for sure on my channel, if I did that, I think people would riot. They just, they don't want that anymore. <laughs> but that's, that's such a powerful thing that uh, you were just creating content for yourself for, uh, from a few weeks ago. And it was just your notes or your uh, learnings mm -hmm. that you were putting out. I think it's like uh, someone mentioned on Twitter that it's like putting out a bad signal to the world just to attract people that are similar to you. That's what video creation is like. So that's, that's mm -hmm. what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. And, and for sure, like it, with the topic of like it being notes, like I still go back to like every time I make a new Flask website, I still go back to my first Flask video or Flask tutorials and like grab all that starting code, you know, because that it's just easier that way. And there's a lot of like, um, you know, things that I do commonly or common functions that I like, I know where I use that function and I'll go back and like grab that function and stuff. And, uh, or even like recently I tried to do 
the uh, TensorFlow object detection. And I just, I went to my tutorial because it's like, it's like personalized notes for myself and I just share them with people, but it's all, it's for me just as much as it is for everyone else. Uh, and uh, just, just uh, zooming out a bit, how would you plan all of these? Because you made, uh, I think on Twitter, you mentioned that you made a uh, decision to not put a, uh, cut out your mess ups on the video. You mentioned you're an intermediate Python uh, programmer. I, I'm sure you'd say you're an expert now, but uh, what's that planning process like? Uh, or has it changed at all when you're creating all of these tutorials? Um, it really depends. I still, I definitely still would consider myself like an intermediate pro. Like I'm, I'm really not a good programmer. I, that probably sounds funny, but I don't think I'm actually a good, like I know a lot of tools and I know how to take tools and make a thing. Like I'm really, I'm good at that. I'm an expert at like building an idea, right? I'm good at that. But as far as like, like actually like programming, I don't think I'm that good at it. <laughs> I mean, I'm good at, like I, I can make it happen, but I don't think I'm an expert. But as far as planning is concerned, um, it really depends. So like, like the neural networks from scratch videos, those are heavily planned, heavily edited. And like a lot of effort goes into those. And because we want that, because that topic is so complicated already that I think like making mistakes or being sloppy or not putting in a lot of forethought into like, how do we want to structure this? And like, what order do we want to go in and stuff like that? I think just makes it harder to understand um, rather than being a teachable moment. Whereas like with a lot of things, they're not hard. It's like, you just need to follow these series of steps and you'll get there. And, but if, but along the way, you're probably going to make a lot of the exact same mistakes that I make on video eventually. And so it's, it's, in my opinion, just better to leave them in there. And as far as planning goes, it really depends. Like some stuff, um, like the, the GPT stuff recently, uh, that was like basically zero planning. It was just like, okay, let's just tinker and see what we come up with. And then other stuff I might make like notes and like build out the program, but not really think how I'm going to teach it yet. Um, and then some, I'm trying to think like, um, like with Django, for example, or like Flask, a lot of times I would probably build out the entire website. And then I would think, okay, how do we separate this into chunks that would be accessible and like not, you know, um, not too long, not too short, that kind of stuff. So it really just kind of depends on like what, what the topic is going to be, I guess. And like kind of where I'm at with the channel, because I don't know, like I might still eventually go back and revisit things like Flask and Django, but nowadays it just feels kind of silly to like go back and, and like revisit all those things or like Matplotlib or like some of these other things. Like, why would I go back and do those again? You know, I, I, I don't know. It just, it feels like kind of, it's kind of silly at this point <laughs> to like go back to those. So uh, probably going forward, it would be more, um, more like project based stuff is my guess. But then how much planning that goes in, I, I don't probably not very much. <laughs> that's, that's my guess, but uh, neural networks from scratch will still stay planned. And I'm sure there'll be like other stuff that will like that I would plan out in more depth, but yeah, it just kind of depends. Depends on the topic. Depends how I'm feeling that day. <laughs> If I could request you to grab the book that's right under the DJX box behind you. And uh, if you could just tell us how, how did this idea come about uh, in your head of writing this book? Why, why did you decide to write this book at all? So, yeah, so the, the, the lovely Neural Networks from Scratch book. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, yeah, well, definitely. So, 
So I think the first time that ever came up was when I did this like machine learning series where we built like a bunch of like of the more traditional machine learning uh, models from scratch, like K-nearest neighbors and stuff like that. And then when we got to neural networks, I was like, well, we're not doing that from scratch. So we used like, I don't even know if it was it Theano back then. I, it might've been, it was something. It was not, I don't think it was TensorFlow. I can't remember what Theano, we I think so. Yeah. Anyway, um, it just seems silly to go to do it from scratch because it would just take so long and it wouldn't, it, I, I, I don't think we could make uh, that that could be done and I could like earn a living, right? It would just be so, so few people would be interested in that and um, for the amount of effort that would be required. So that was always like on the on the back burner to like do neural networks from scratch, but like, how would we, how would we really do it? Like, I, I just couldn't think like, how can it get done? And, and then um, I don't know the, I think the machine learning playlist was before uh, Daniel's time. So Daniel is the guy that uh, works with me. He's been with me since basically the Python plays Grand Theft Auto stuff. And around that time, I just told him like, Hey, like, like, could we actually do it like truly from scratch? Because it would have to be from scratch. Because if it's not from scratch and eventually we have to use something else, um, even including NumPy, like we'd want, really want to be able to do this without NumPy. And then we could use NumPy, but we'd want to do it like truly from scratch. That way, nothing is black box. And if we could do that, then it would be worth it, right? It would be worth trying to like look back into that. So, um, I don't like from that point, I think it was just kind of like the side project or something. And at some point, uh, Daniel like came and showed me some of his notes and they were like, just, just like code, just from the code and like slowly building out the code. It was, I want to say it was something like 200 pages of just like, um, no words almost. It was just like, just code. And, uh, I was like, I think at that point it wasn't even actually done. Like, like, I'm not sure how done like backprop was and stuff like that. But after I saw it in that forum, it was like, well, wait a second. <laughs> like this, that could be a book. Like that's like, that's so obviously a book at that point. Um, because I figured once, once we added like text and explained everything, maybe we'd be at like three, 400 pages. Um, and so then I was like, well, we could sell a book and then do videos and then maybe that project would make sense, like fiscally and time-wise for us to really invest and, and do it right. And, um, and yeah, the rest is history from there. <laughs> so, so obviously that, I mean, that went, that did, that definitely worked out pretty well. We've sold um, almost 10,000 copies. I'm not sure what the exact number is, That's more than 9,000 and somewhere around 10,000 at this point. And for the audience listening into the audio, I'm just sharing my screen, but you could head over to nnfs.io. That's where you could grab a copy. I just have my ebook right now because I wasn't sure if the customers would let a physical book in through, but uh, yeah, you can grab a copy or just watch the videos on uh Syntex channel as well, though they have a nice overlap with the book. And you say you're in India? Yes. <clears throat> yeah, we've, we've def we've shipped books to India. We, um, the, I, I don't, it definitely takes longer. Like it, I think we've had some that are like in customs for like a month or, you know, something crazy. Not, not all of them take that long. It definitely seems like random, but I will say if your book doesn't show up, we send another one. So like, I wouldn't worry about that. Or if it shows up and it's in terrible shape, we'll send another one. So, so don't worry about that um, for anybody who's watching or, or yourself included. So uh, 
anyway yeah just to be clear i was mentioning this because right now we're in a lockdown so otherwise uh, indian customs is indian customs i paid a thousand dollars in customs for my titan gpu <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> oh man <laughs> hey at least you have a gpu right right now those are hard <laughs> for sure <laughs> but uh, again coming back to all of these things uh, in one of your q and a you mentioned you were close to being broke while working on all of these businesses early in your career but still you found uh, fulfillment in just building all of these things by yourself and your family your wife was very supportive of you even when you decided to sell your bike for 600 pounds of lego <laughs> was there <laughs> was there ever a point where you were uh, maybe scared or just contemplating that uh, because you had offers from really great companies that this could be an alternate path because this may or may not work out was there ever intimidation yeah well first of all the reason i laugh so hard at the legos is I'll, i honestly will never forget because our whole living room so we were in an apartment that was maybe 700 square feet and um i don't know what that would be in square like meters but anyway seven not a big area mm -hmm. uh and 600 pounds of lego takes up the entire living room and i will never forget i was like on the floor like trying to organize some of the lego because you could sell like people would buy like so i knew like when i when i did that trade i knew that just by weight alone it was ten dollars per pound so i knew and the motorcycle was worth like thirty five hundred dollars so i knew like if we sold if i sold everything in bulk it would be six thousand dollars that would be a, a good deal and um but if you separated everything out and you put together the sets, uh, it was going to be like $20,000 plus, but everything was in pieces and you had to put it all back together. <laughs> and so, so I, at first I thought I would do that. And so I'm on the floor putting, putting Lego together, you know, as like a 20 year old and my, my girlfriend at the time, now wife comes in and she's brought a friend with her. And I'm like, Oh my God, this was embarrassing thing ever. Cause I'm like in this room that is just Lego everywhere. She, the, her friend asks zero questions. So, you know, there's just like massive judgment going on at that point. <laughs> like, I'm, just, I'm never going to forget that. I'm like, Oh, this is embarrassing. I swear it's a good business idea. Um, anyway, yeah, so are you I still got, friends like, with them or, or did they never speak with you afterwards? Honestly, I don't even remember who that was. Like, I don't, I don't think it, I don't, I can't even remember who that was. Cause even, you know, my wife, when she, I think back then she was still possibly like a dance major at Sam Houston. And she later changed her um, degree to, I think it was biology. So she could do pre-med and then, and now she's a physician. Um, and I don't know, I think that was one of her friends from, uh, dance or something. I, and I don't think we, I, we're, I don't, I don't, I couldn't even tell you who it was. So we're definitely not friends. I don't think, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, I got distracted on that. What was your, what was your, uh, uh my question? Yeah, my question was, was there ever self-doubts at that point? Uh, oh, during oh the right. Yeah. So actually, so timeline wise, I was doing, I was actually doing pretty good when I was a waiter at this place called like Blue Cats. And it was pretty obvious. Like, I think you, one of the things that's, that's nice being self-employed is you, you always know, like, 
what's the situation? Um, is this business going to exist a year from now, five years from now and so on? Whereas like when you're employed, like I remember when, when I became self-employed, people would ask like, well, that where's the job security in that, you know? And it's like, well, uh, I, I think it's actually pretty good if you're self-employed, whereas if you're, if you're not, you know, people can make, people are making decisions based on themselves and their needs only. They're not thinking about your job most of the time. So anyway, uh, getting back to the question though, um, I, I was actually doing pretty well when I, while I was still a waiter at this place, Blue Cats, and then um, I kind of felt like they're probably going out of business, but they would not, they like, they, anytime the subject or the thought came up, they would shoot it down. But I was like, well, you're not serving enough people. <laughs> like I can do math. <laughs> There's no way this is, this is working out. And um, so eventually I did, they just like, basically they didn't even tell us they got, <laughs> this is like a perfect example. Like I just, they just basically like the, I think it was a Saturday or Sunday before I was supposed to go into work. They just basically, I got a letter in the mail and they were like, Hey, by the way, we're closed. Here's the rest of your check. Uh, good luck. You know? <laughs> and it's like, Oh, great. And yeah, it was at that point where I was like, well, I'm making enough to survive, like without trying to go get another job. Like, why don't I just try this instead? Like, why don't I just try to keep making it on my own and see what happens? And so at that point, like, I don't know how much I was making, but it was, it was something like, like when I would like file for taxes, like one year, it was like $600 of income. <laughs> and the next year it was like 6,000. And even like that year, I just remember like when I found out how much I had to pay in taxes, because when you're self-employed, they're not taking out like social security and um, Medicaid or Medicare, all that stuff. So you still have to pay that stuff, even if your tax rate is so low or you can take deductions and so on. Uh, you still owe those things. And so like, at, still at the end of the day, I still owed money. And like, I had a hard time like coming up with that money. <laughs> like it, uh, it was a very small dollar figure. And so that was really rough. And yeah, for like those first few years, uh, it was definitely tough to, to like make enough money, but like, at least I forget what my wife was doing at that time, but she was doing, I don't know if she was working at like a clinic or something like that at that time. And so she, at least she had income and like, she was really supportive of me just like trying to invest my time at least into this like online business to see where I can go from in, in, in like, can I make anything here? And so like at that time, I mean, she was paying most of the bills doing like doing getting the groceries, that kind of stuff. And so, um, so I could focus like completely on trying to make this work out. But yeah, if it wasn't for her, I'd probably would have had to be like living at home or something like that. And, and I'm, I'm very thankful that wasn't the case. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that was probably for like three, four years, there is really no way I could have like made a living. And I think at least nowadays, I think it's easier uh, to, to make money online. Like back then, there was really no such thing as like sponsors. Like people didn't sponsor a YouTuber. Like that was insane. Whereas nowadays you could, you can get a sponsor and only, you know, you could, you could be doing like a thousand views or, or, you know, somewhere between one and 10 or like in general, now they're trying to look at like, what are your like monthly view numbers or something like that to get, get an idea or a per video or something like that. But it used to be the case that you had to do like millions of views if you wanted to get any sponsor. Whereas nowadays it's just not like that anymore. And so at least that the barrier to entry to like making money or like merch, like selling merch or 
like all those kinds of stuff or like affiliate product. Like there's so many ways to make money now. Whereas back then it really was just YouTube ads. Like there was really no other way um, to make money. And so like, but around that time I was also doing, like I would buy and sell domain names. Um, so I was, I was just doing everything I could to, to try to continue to build. Um, but uh, it, at least it, in, especially like with YouTube, I think, you can't get negative views. I mean, you can, there's ways, but you, you really can't. And so as long as you're like putting out content, you will get views. You might not get as many as you hoped, but you're going to get views. And if you put out, I think the term for it now is like evergreen content, but it's just, if you put out content that doesn't, it's not like news or like vloggy type stuff, you'll, you'll continue to get views over time on those videos so it's like they never go away so you just keep building up this base and the views will just keep going up but i will say nowadays things are changing so fast with like youtube like the algorithm on youtube changes its mind a lot and like that algorithm will murder you <laughs> like one day it's your friend and the next day it's not your friend and uh was it ever it used, in your mind to optimize for that i know many people just talk about that i'm sure you didn't have as much thought about it but were you ever trying to chase that and just just get out to more audience no because it, i think um at least back then and, and i think it's still now the case like i think it's a little less i actually i would i would almost say less the case now but i always felt like like google and youtube's goal is to find the best content they don't want to find the best seo approach so at any given time you might have the best seo approach and you'll get a, a nice bump but it's always it's a constantly changing and so if you have somebody who like continuously is is on top of it and like knows what they're really doing um i've Sure. I, I've always kind of no offense to anybody who does SEO for a living, but like, I just, I never respond to anybody who's SEO related because I'm just like, no, like, I just, I think if you want to get views, just make really good content, put all of your focus on making really good content. And I think that's your best chance. Like if you're, if you're worried about SEO or you're worried about, um, all those kind of like little things, like people are going to try to find, like people will find and remember you based on your content. And then the search engines, that's, they're trying to optimize for helping people to find the best content. So, I mean, they're working for you for the most part. And so, yeah, I, I've never really tried, I try to put relevant titles, you know, I tried to make it decent in that regard, but even like things like thumbnails i'm really bad at just adding thumbnails and i try to make them and i'll go through phases where i make because like thumbnails make sense to me it's like packaging right you it's not really for the algorithm it's for the person like looking through videos if they can read the thumbnail really quickly or get an understanding what the video is i think those have a lot of value but again at the end of the day i think make good quality content and the rest will probably follow doesn't mean it will for sure but i think that's your best bet that's such an amazing advice. And one of the things I discovered, and just for context, uh, you were just talking about all of these things as from a content creator perspective. And that's that's what's so beautiful about your journey because early in the day, it wasn't clear at all that, hey, this could be a job at all. Now people know that if you have even 10,000 subscribers, you could be using that as side income, but you were always focused on fulfillment. And 
I think at some point you mentioned that uh, if you were to divide the number of hours that you put into this, uh, it'll be below minimum wage. So to talk about fulfillment. How, what was that uh, thought process like for you? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, I mean, probably nowadays, if you added up all the hours total, I might still be close to minimum wage, but I'm probably better than minimum wage now. But definitely for like the first, like I said, the first like four years was probably like three dollars an hour or, or less like it was very bad uh, and, I, and then, i'm sorry to interrupt just just for the audience's reference at that point you were getting all of these offers uh, from really exciting companies for uh, like from different perspectives and yet you were mm. making a decision to stick to uh, what you were doing yeah well yeah yeah it's i think i think that would be a terrible time to cash out right you you've put in all this time and energy and then that's when you decide to to check out when it like just started to possibly pan out really well for you. Um, I think that would be a huge mistake, but I also, yeah, I think it depends what you're doing. Like, I don't, I, I'm not necessarily negative at going to work for some company, but it like with the YouTube channel, it is like, it's, I can, there's very few things that I could think of that are like as fulfilling or just as fun and interesting. Like every day I wake up and I just do whatever I want to do. Like, like what that's like, retire. that sounds like retirement to me. And so like, why not, why not do that for as long as you can? Right. Like I'm living my retirement now at some point, at some point YouTube has to stop. Like I'm sure things will not always be going great on YouTube or maybe a new platform comes out um youtube's kind of an old platform in terms of like social media platform so who knows how long youtube even has um or maybe they're here for the next 50 years we don't really know but i'm sure at some point things will change but at least for now i it's very rewarding and like what else could i like if i was going to work for uh like say facebook or something um what am i really doing you know like what like you know i might be building writing really cool code maybe building some sort of cool product but it's just not like, it's not the same to me as like, I don't know, like, I feel like it's just really cool when like you hear that, uh, like when I meet people and they're like, Hey, I, you know, I got started on your stuff and like, or I got a job from like doing your, basically just your content, you know, like that's, that's really cool. And the fact that I can do that, I can offer it for free. There's just ads. And then like, now we, I, I plug the book as much as I can. Um, that, but anybody can access it for completely free. I think that's like, uh, that's just really cool. I mean, like everybody's winning in this scenario. And so, yeah, I, I want to keep doing that for as long as I can. Um, there's other stuff, like there's definitely stuff that could lure me away. Um, but I, I don't know that I would ever like completely stop YouTube unless I just, for some reason, YouTube stops working out for me. How have you stayed so humble throughout your journey? You, uh, you might disagree, but you're one of the best uh, teachers in the world. How, how didn't you let your ego overpower you, uh, if I may? Uh, I don't know how to answer that question. Um, I, I just know, like, for sure, I think it's one of those things where, like, like, when I first started, like, writing code and stuff like that and, like, teaching online, like, I was wrong a lot. And so, like, people would tell me, like, hey, no, this is, this is the way things are or, like, this is how you could do that better. Like, there was always, like, new stuff to learn. And then even now, that's kind of how I feel. Like I, I feel like even the more I've like learned programming and gotten into certain things, 
the more I've like realized how little I actually know about a lot of stuff, you know, like I just, I'm not that good at a lot of things and just programming and Python related. So, um, I don't know. I almost think like the, the more you do it, the more you realize that you don't know. And that like, I think that's just humbling in it by itself. You just kind of realize that you don't, you're not actually that good. So, so I don't know. I, I think that's, that's why I'm humbled by like, especially like Python and programming, just, just this little niche topic. There's so much, or even if you just take it even further to like machine learning, like there's so much going on. And, you know, I might know a lot about how to make this model or that model work or whatever, but there's, there's a, there's so much, like, I feel like I know like 2% of machine learning or something like that. Like I just, there's so much going on and there's just, like I said, so little that I actually know that I think that's, that's probably why I'm just aware that there's people who know stuff that I don't know. <laughs> and it's, uh, you, you sure do enjoy it a lot. It does definitely come through your videos. Uh, you, you can't fake all of that enthusiasm. If I made it, uh, <laughs> at least through all of these videos, it comes through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I mean, like, I think, I don't know, I think, especially for me when I, it's like computers and programming in general, like when I, like we didn't have a family computer until I was maybe 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. Like I, when I was a, a young kid, there was no such thing as like tablets or computers or anything. And then when we first got started, like we were on dial up just like everybody else. And like, so like being a part of that as like kind of computers came into fruition, um, I still remember a time where they did not exist and, or they didn't exist like they do today. And, and like programming to me is just like, so mind blowing that like, like when I first started to learn it for myself, like I just fell in love with it because it was like, man, you can, you just spend a little bit of time. You can do this thing. You can build this thing. And it's like, it's like a, it's a multiplier of productivity by like, I don't even know, like for sure a hundred X, but there's things you could do to make it even more than that. And I just think that's like, like even like the book, for example, like we're selling books, but I'm not doing anything to, to like, I'm not a part of that process. It just, it's all automated. <laughs> and so it's like, and, and like, we like, like uh, arguably Daniel wrote most of those systems and um, but somebody wrote those to happen it didn't already exist, but via programming that all those things now take place. And um, I think that like that is, there's something really cool about that that can be done or, and then the same thing with like machine learning. Like I just, I remember the first time I used scikit-learn and I, I don't know what model I use, probably a support vector machine to do something. And I was just like, whoa, that is so cool that you can like, that it can do this. And like, especially at that time, I didn't, it was almost cooler before I knew how it worked. Same thing with like K nearest neighbors, like, wow, that's so cool. Until you find out how it works. And like, Oh yeah. That like, I remember I did like a pattern recognition with finance series. Uh, and then like later after I learned K nearest neighbors, I was like, Hey, wait a second. I, that's the, I basically built some K nearest neighbors. I didn't know that that was K nearest neighbors, but it's like, it's so obvious that I, I thought of it just randomly that I feel like now it's like, Oh, that's not really that cool. But but I almost think it's cool because it's so basic, you know, and like arguably uh, even like neural networks are they're, they're The complex part is like the calculus part, I suppose. But even those like neural networks are not actually that fancy. And the things that you can do with them 
uh, that we haven't even fully grasped. Um, I, I just, there's that, that, and that's what I mean. Like, that's why, like, I keep doing this is because it's like, man, it, it really is. It's so exciting to, to be playing with these like new models and just like trying these new things that have just come out. Um, and yeah, there's just something super alluring to, to that kind of stuff, like with computers and programming and then now like machine learning. Um, I don't know. I feel like you're, it's almost like you're on the cusp of, uh, it's like you're on the cusp of like when computers first came out or something like that. Like that's what it feels like, uh, when you're like doing machine learning stuff, because I feel like there's probably, I don't know how many total people are doing machine learning in the world, but how many people get to play with uh, GPT one week and then they're doing like text to speech in another week or, you know, like all these things. Like, I don't, that's not that many people like this. This is a cool job. That's <laughs> for sure. It's, it's super rewarding, super interesting. And then I get to share it with people and like, that's cool too. So yeah, it, it's a cool space to be in for sure. I was so excited when I saw your tweet that uh, you've, uh, I think you've trained a GPT model with Python code and now you're trying uh, code to comment or similar models. I'm, I'm sure the video will come out soon, but that, that was very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I've been basically training that uh, we've, well, we've done two things since we did the initial. So when I got, uh, can you, yeah, this is there with a little DGX station back there. Um, since I've had that, let's see what well, we did. Some, we tinkered with some of the Jarvis stuff, uh, which was also really cool. I, I'm, I'm, uh, that's what I mean. Like, I, I feel like, like, this is all I do. All I do every day is like learn about machine learning stuff. I mean, I do other stuff. I do eat, I sleep and stuff like that. But I don't I, um, believe that <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm a big sleeper. I I'm like an eight hours a night guy. If it, I can survive on like six, but if I do like six, two days in a row, I'm severely degraded. And if I get like five hours of sleep a night, I'm, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm going to be no use the next day. And then like, I remember when I was in like high school and stuff, when people would do like all nighters. And, but I can't do it. I, I, I'll just, it's, I'll blink and I'll fall asleep. I just, boom, I'm out. And I got, I just, no, I'm, I'm definitely a sleeper. Um, anyway, yeah. Like I, I spent all my time, um, at least working time, like learning all these like new things and trying these new models. And, but like, while I'm doing that, there's people who are focusing completely on, yeah, doing stuff like GPT research or like, I'm, I'm, I, I really, I really want to do, um, like the talking head videos, my dream would be to, and I'm slowly, I'm slowly recording a bunch of samples of my voice. Basically, I want to have the, um, uh, what's the, what's the name of that? Da do you know, do you know much about speech to text? Uh, I do. There's that, those that data set, the um, uh, something speech, I don't know, LJ speech, that data set. I want to say it's either 12 or 24 hours of audio. Um, I'm trying to like build an LJ speech sized data set on just my voice. And then I want to do, That's so talk cool. I'm doing the talk. Like I want to get a talking head and then essentially I would like to text to basically text to syntax, um, like a tutorial. And the best thing to be would be like doing the tutorial for the talking head. So hopefully one day, <laughs> one day that will happen. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, it's like, there's so much stuff like that that's going on. Um, and then, yeah, coming back to like the Jarvis thing, like I take a step out I come back and like now with all these like speed ups and stuff like that. Now, basically it's unbelievably simple for me to just like talk into the microphone and get an instant response back to me from a chatbot, um, a GPT chatbot nonetheless. And it's like, 
man, it's like, there's just so much stuff happening. Um, yeah, it's just such a cool, it's such a cool field. I don't remember what your question was. <laughs> <laughs> it was just about uh, all of this exciting stuff that's happening. Um, but also going back to the early days, I remember uh, I would freak the F out if that were to, that were to happen to me. But I remember you're still driving car videos uh, and things wouldn't work because you'd run out of memory and you were already running the game on such such a small resolution and the taskbar would be flying and you were really enjoying it. And it's it's really fascinating to think just in four or five years, how far we've come ahead of that. The speeders <laughs> are just insane. Yeah, I look back at that video and we're definitely, we got, we got a couple of interesting things coming out very soon. Um, so we have one thing, I don't know. Well, uh, it's one thing is Grand Theft Auto related. It's not self-driving cars though, but it, it's, I think almost cooler, uh, and Grand Theft. It's ba- it's based with Grand Theft Auto Five. I know. Um, I was asking, Oscar- is it an aimbot or something like that? Oh, actually, well, since you you said the video comes out in like two weeks, the, does, yes. this video. Okay, so what we're doing is, um, uh, I did put out a couple of tweets of using Game Gam. I don't know if you mm-hmm. came across those Game Gam tweets. I do. So. So yeah, so so we we did some tinkering with GameGan on like a like a kind of a well we started with Carpool, Carpool didn't work out. We have some ideas and theories as to why Carpool didn't work. I mean, it sort of worked. It it worked to the point where we we knew the model was learning, but it just wasn't learning. But anyway, so that didn't work out well. Then we did a little race car game, and I posted a couple of videos from that, and we actually improved quite a bit from there. And then it was around that time that Nvidia brought up the the DGX station, and one of the kind of tough things of game gan is it, it is a memory hog and so we we're like oh we could do we could do something really cool with having that much memory and so it game gan is what we decided to do and then we decided to use uh, uh grand theft auto 5 as the the game that we were going to try to mimic and so um so that's coming out soonish like i'm still editing that video but probably by, by the time this is posted it'll be done um and and it works like pretty well like it's it's very low resolution so then one of the other things was daniel wrote a like a super sampler so it's super sampled up 8x um the super sampler is actually really well really good uh the problem is game gam it produces a lot of like artifacts and stuff um and we're still trying like we're we're still learning a lot about like neither of us came to game gam with i don't know about daniel but i didn't have any gan experience i'm pretty confident neither did daniel so we're we're still just like learning about how this stuff works but um well we learned a lot for sure doing grand theft auto 5 but the big takeaway is not it it works like you can drive around like we did it with a with the like the armored karuma car and just like picked like a stretch of highway we got rid of all other traffic and all that kind of stuff and just trying to see like could we just like drive around and would it work at all and so so we first just tried that and and you you like like our initial results were 100 clear it works and we're like oh my gosh like this is so crazy like we just could not believe that um that you could do it and and so then and then there was like little stuff like when you turn the car the uh like the horizon will roll and like it does in the game so it mimics that and then like one of the other things that was picked up really early was like the 
if you're if the car is in a certain orientation, it gets the sunlight reflection on the back window. And then it also like spreads to because the car is like this like matte black finish. So it's like a real solid reflection, but then like a nice soft reflection and it moves like as the car is turning on the road. Um, and then the car has a shadow and the shadow works correctly. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, and then just, just driving around. I mean, it just drives around on the road and like, like seeing all those things being like modeled and like the crazy part to me is that it's modeling physics. It's modeling Grand Theft Auto's physics, but then my, immediately my question is like, could we model something in real life? Could we model a real life physics problem? And would it work? Because it probably, it probably would, if it's picking up like physics interactions in a game, my expectation is that it's, it, it could pick up very complex physics relationships in real life, likely better than like a rule-based model would that are, then this is like one of the main problems with like video games is physics always kind of sucks. So, um, so moving forward, I think that's kind of one of the things that I'd like to do with, with game GAN. I'll, we're going to have to change the name to something other than game GAN. And in, in this project, the name is Gan Theft Auto. Um, well, so, <laughs> yeah, it's the best. It's a perfect name. So, yeah, I, I joked. I was like, yeah, whenever whenever I came up with that name, I was like, this project has to work because it has the best name. Um, but yeah, something like Mvgan or something like that. And at least for now, I'll, I'll hear your feedback if what you think. So, my thought is to get like a maze, like like a little three D printed maze with like a marble and then like get some servos or something. And then you would use your keyboard to like tilt the maze. And that would be like, you would co collect data. You could write a bot that would do that. And that's what we did with uh, Gan Theft Auto. And by me, or by we, I mean, Daniel uh, did all that Grand Theft Auto stuff. So like he like, uh, I, I'll, I'm, I, uh, it's going to be covered in the video, but like that, that man has full control over Grand Theft Auto at this point. <laughs> like he can do literally anything in that game. Like when we were doing Grand Theft Auto, uh, he was, um, we had like, obviously you don't want to hand do it to make all the data. So we hit, we wanted to use a bot to drive around. Plus we only have had the DG, have had the DGX probably by the time this video goes up, we won't have it anymore. So we knew there was a limited time with the station. So we needed to collect data fast. So it's like one Grand Theft Auto instance, but there's like eight to 12 bots in that instance on the same stretch of road. They're just invisible to each other and they like clip through each other and stuff. It's crazy. So, but based on all that R&D that was made uh, to do Grand Theft Auto, we're going 100% taking that back to the initial self-driving car in Grand Theft Auto because now we can make huge training data sets really really quickly and hopefully rockstar's attitude towards uh that kind of stuff was hopefully faded <laughs> like when we were doing the self-driving car in grand theft auto i was just like waiting for the day for them to be like you gotta stop because they were like for some reason they were like real anti people like doing that kind of stuff in their game i still think today like we, we could never release the software for like doing this but it, hopefully we can release the at least the training data i would hope so um, but for sure, we will revisit that, uh, that project because now we, there's like, we could build these training data sets so fast and they could be doing anything like they could, like, you could have one that's like a motorcycle. Cause like that was kind of with grant the self-driving car and grand theft auto. I always wanted to have like 
at least when I played, I always like got on the motorcycle and I would go contra flow traffic and like weave in, in and I would try and just try to see, can I do like one lap around Grand Theft Auto five? And like, I'd like to make a bot that could like do that and like learn to do that really well. And then you could have one that drives like a, a sane person would drive and you could just have so many different models. And then that brings us back to like with the Twitch chat, being able to like kind of control how does it behave and stuff like that. So yeah, hopefully in the in the near future, we'll be able to revisit that project. But yeah, when I look back to the original self-driving car in Grand Theft Auto and like watch like the decisions that I made and like how I was able to succeed with that, I'm like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> like, what, what, how does this work? I cannot believe that it worked out. I just, I look back at that. I'm like, man, you don't know what the heck you're doing. And it's just so funny because yeah, somehow that worked. And even now I just cannot, even back then, I think people were surprised that you could do like a single frame at a time with a comp net to pick a direction. And even now I look back at that and I'm like, man, I cannot believe that actually uh, works. And then one of the, the only thing that I'm still impressed with myself to this day of was it would eventually always get biased to like some direction change, but because the, um, the training data was a perfectly balanced training data set. Um, one of the ideas I had was what if we, what if we tweaked the, like, so you get your output, your output prediction, um, your output layer, right? Those values. Um, what if we added one more weight layer, but we set that weight layer and then it doesn't, it's not a trainable layer, but when you get those outputs, you could weight them such that after you went through your entire, you know, test set, because the test set should be a perfectly balanced set. Can we find the set of weights that we could multiply that output layer by to enforce that we get a perfect balance of outputs. So it, it's not intelligent in any way. All it's doing is just trying to balance the numbers. That's it. And that actually made a huge difference on the car's driving performance. Like it actually worked really well. Um, and still to this day, I think if we did it again, if we have imbalanced outputs, that's exactly what I would propose that we do to fix it again. So that was cool. But the rest of that project, I just can't believe it even worked. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> Uh, I, I got a nice peek into the, uh, if I may send uh, R&D labs, but what, what goes on behind the scenes, the things that don't make it to YouTube. Uh, I think you're also running a training loop right now. I, I can see the tensor board, I think screen on the DG Xbox output, but uh, just curious how much of a difference that has made for you. And uh, we as an audience know it, a lot of exciting stuff, stuff has come out of it, but how, how's the R&D for you look like right now? With you mean with that in particular, or what do you mean? Just in general, uh, with your DG Xbox, how much was that helpful, and uh, also uh, what what goes on behind the scenes, the things that we don't get to see. Um. Yeah. Oh, I think most stuff. Well, I don't know. Uh, maybe half the stuff comes to comes to fruition. I'm not sure. Um. There's a lot of stuff that like it just doesn't work, or like like one of the struggles that we've we've had is like some of the stuff, especially once, once like a perfect example, like of like, I don't think I'm a expert programmer, but I think Daniel's an expert programmer and he comes up with certain things that I'm like, well, we could never do a tutorial on that. Like we can't, that can't go to, to video. <laughs> and so, so there's like certain things where um, I'm like, man, we can't really share that. So like with, with GAN Theft Auto, for example, 
it can't be a tutorial on how to do GAN theft auto. Like we can release, we're going to release the code, the models, the training data, like everything you need to like do what we did, you will have access to. But in terms of like us breaking down and teaching you how GAN theft auto works, it's like, oh man, I don't think we can do that. Like that's just like too much. Um, and like, that's almost like, at least for me, it's kind of almost a drag sometimes if you have to like, like we've made all this progress, we've done some really cool stuff. I'd like to continue pushing the limit on Gantt Theft Auto. And I know Daniel would too. And like, do we, so do we want to go backwards and like write up all the stuff? Like we've been on Gantt Theft Auto for like two months. Um, no, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> so, so, so that's sometimes hard. And so like, there's sometimes stuff that comes out or like, like with um, the chat bot that's on Twitter, for example, some people have requested to uh, see a video on that. I'm like, well, Maybe not, uh, because like I one, I know the code is terrible, but and, and two, and it's not the way that I don't. I don't think you should write a chatbot the way that I wrote the chatbot for Twitter. Um, but also, it's like um, now nah, I've moved on, or or I wouldn't mind maybe rewriting that chatbot. And sometimes that happens. Like there's times where I've thought I want to redo something, so then I'll redo it and then plan to do a video on it or something. But yeah, for sure, there's a lot of stuff that goes into R and D, or it just doesn't work. Like there's stuff that in the past, like hasn't actually worked and um, I just don't share it because it wasn't successful or it, you know, it wouldn't be interesting in any way. So it was just like a test, you know, um, but in terms of, yeah, like with Theft Auto and like having the proper uh, GPUs, like, so yeah, with, uh, let's see, with Python or yeah, with the Python Plays GTA, I want to say that series began with a 980 and then ended on a 1080 Ti. And, um, even then it was tight. It was tough to like fit everything on there, especially like the kind of the, the last things that I was working on was the adding the TensorFlow object detection API on top of the self-driving stuff that was going on. And then the thought there was that, you know, you could almost use that as a fail safe. So like if it detected the distance of the car in front, you could still like not, cause sometimes for whatever reason that ComNet. Uh, like it just would not detect a car and it would just, just try to drive straight on through them, you know, especially like the white, I think it was white cars. I think it just thought it was more pavement or something. And you had to um, take over at times just to make sure it's not messing up as much. <laughs> uh, well, definitely with, um, I think, well, with the stream, I mean, when we did like the model that ran for a long, like if I was recording a video, I would definitely take over it sometimes and like fix it. But like the stream ran 24 seven and I assure you, I, I, like I said, I sleep. So, so it was definitely all by itself. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was not, I mean, obviously it was not the best of drivers, but, um, it definitely, it was on the right track most of the time, but anyway, yeah, we, we, uh, well, some of the time anyway, um, yeah, fitting all that on the 1080 Ti was tough. And then I think at some point I got a second 1080 Ti. So then the driving model was on one of them and the object detection was on another. And that was almost comfortable. Um, but I think, I, especially if we go back today, I mean, we won't be on 1080 Ti's anymore. And so it'll be nice. So I have at least the DGX, unfortunately, I don't think we'll be here for the... Uh, for that project, but the uh, I've got a couple RTX Titans now, and then the box machine that has a couple RTX 8000s. So we have plenty of headroom to do quite a bit comfortably, I think, on there. And I think our plan is to just live train too. Like we could collect data at such a rate that we could train that model live and stream 
the model driving live and then that model could be updated in real time. So I think that would also be really cool to kind of see the model's progress over time at becoming hopefully a better, a much better driver than even the one that I had back in the day, because all that data was collected manually and it was just painful. Whereas now we don't have to do it that way. So, and we can collect it so much faster that, and train it much faster that, um, yeah, I look forward to that, but definitely, yeah. Since for the, the game GAN stuff, like I think one of the things that people don't recognize with like to, for this was true in the, the self-driving car in Grand Theft Auto days, like people wanted to see it progress faster than it was. And I was just like, you know, guys, like, this is just, this is just a fun project. And like, we're not, we're not Tesla. We're not any of these companies that are like, the, like people are pouring billions of dollars into self-driving cars and we're still not there yet. I mean, they're better than, than, than arguably Charles was in Grand Theft Auto, but, um, but this is a very hard problem. And uh, the same thing is true with like, with like Grand Theft Auto, for example, you know, you'll see the final model, um, but we trained uh, like 30 models, different models, trying this, try that, try this little change here. And each time you, tr you, you change something, it's going to take you hours or days to find the results. And, and that was, that's hours or days on the DGX station back there. Like if you really, like, if you don't have that, it's going to take you like a week <laughs> per model. So, I mean, you're already looking at half of a year or more um, just to do like R and D for a fun Gan Theft Auto project. Uh, so yeah, I think that, that there's definitely a lot of R and D that goes on in the background that the viewer is just not privy to. They just don't understand. Like, it's not like we come at these projects and we like, we know how to do it, you know, but at the same, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like tutorialitis where, you know, and part of the reason why I like to leave in mistakes is I think people think that like I know everything or, or whoever's teaching tutorials or that, like, I think a lot of times people get the feeling that like they are stupid or inferior to the people that they see teaching tutorials because these people never make mistakes. Well, they never make mistakes because they edit out the mistakes. <laughs> like that's the difference. That's all it is. Or they edit out the part where they're like, wait, what do I do there? And then they go to stack overflow and they look it up. Right. Or, or whatever they're using to look up their answers. So I think, um, I think that the, it kind of goes two ways, right? There's a lot of stuff that gets missed. And then I also think to some extent, it makes you look smarter than you are because they're not seeing all the times and all the stupid models and all the dumb things that you tried first that just didn't work out, right? Um, so yeah, hopefully that answers your question on R&D. But uh, I will say for sure, having, having something like that back there or just having like the right GPU power, it makes like such a huge difference. And like I... Whenever I got the the box machine with the just the, the two RTX eight thousands, there's times where that machine sits idle, and like I've I've reached out and asked people like, hey, if anybody has model or something they want to see trained, contact me because there's times where it's idle. I will run it. I'll run it for free. I'll pay the electricity, um, and I don't get like nobody is like. I mean, okay, some people reach out, but it's like stupid stuff, right? It's like just stuff that I'm not going to do. Um, My homework like, for not... me, please, Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically it, yeah. And so, no, I don't, I don't want to do that or like, or I've had some stuff. Um, there's, There have been, I'm not calling anybody out, but there have been people who have sent me purely like a Kaggle challenge 
but basically all they're trying to do is, uh, you know, do better at Kaggle because they want more power rather than try to do something uh, interesting. Like there's certain Kaggle things that are interesting. So I'm not saying everyone who's reached out about Kaggle, I'm not insulting you. Uh, it's just, there's certain people who have reached out and like, that's another example where they're just, they're just trying to win the competition. It's not actually like a cool thing. So um, yeah, it's, I'm kind of surprised that I haven't really seen much in the way of interest in, accessing that uh that power because that would have been something i think for me i would have been really interested in whenever i was first getting started because it was like always a struggle to get enough space and headroom and even with like gan theft auto it was hard to get enough headroom to really train a model and then if you wanted to run like three or four at the same time and speed it up like you just you couldn't you know so just having that compute power makes a huge difference and i don't know much about uh collab I've seen like the, the, the NVIDIA SMI of, of collab. And I've seen that like, they have like 16 gigs of memory. I guess it's a V100, but I don't, surely it's not actually 16 gigs of memory. Like, I don't know how much you know about collab and like, is it shared or like, like how long do you get that access? Like, how's that working? Like, I think it's 12 or 24 hours, but the thing about me is I'm very spoiled. I have two 3090s and one A6000. The A6000 NVIDIA sent me, so I never log into my Colab account, even though I have a pro subscription, but uh, I really enjoy having that hardware locally. It, it makes some difference for me. Uh, I'm, of course, very biased and very fortunate to be in this position, but mm. yeah, somewhat it's, it's somewhat annoying for me that uh, overhead of uh, connecting Google Drive just for it uh, and then figuring out how to restart it because I'm also <laughs> trying to experiment with GANs. Uh, and it just takes too long to train all of them. And I don't want to figure out how to do that on Colab. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, I mean, there's, there have been services over time, over like the history that I've used that are like cloud-based and I think they're pretty easy to use, but for the most part, you always run it like something goes wrong. And like, like the first one I ever used, and again, I'm not, I'm not trash talking any of these like services, but especially like the, like, the value added services. So the one that I used initially was, a, I, I think I'm sure they still exist. It's a company called like Python Anywhere. And I used them because again, I was just like a complete novice. I didn't, I didn't under, like, I didn't, if you asked me what was Ubuntu, I couldn't have even told you. So, so I didn't <laughs> understand how to do these things on my own, but I knew I wanted to run scripts like somewhere else besides locally, because if there's a power outage or all these other things, like I wanted it to be a little more reliable. And so I used that website, but then as I got, as I got better, I like outgrew the website to some extent, but then it was like a huge pain to like get off, you know? And so, and it's more expensive than if you either just buy like a regular old server or if you have the, the hardware local, but for sure, at least as far as I know, right. Like the last time I looked, um, the, the cost to like own hardware local versus use it in the cloud. It's, it's, it's a very, it, very quickly. I want to say it's like two months or, or less. I can't, I can't remember for sure, but I think it's two months. If you run a, if you're running stuff for cumulatively two months, you could have bought the hardware and run it until that hardware is dead. Right? And, yeah. and you would have, um, it would be the same cost. So obviously that's ignoring like, Oh no, I think, I think when I did, I did one video on like cloud versus local. I think I did actually include the I can't remember if I included electric cost or not, but even like the DGX station behind me, I've been running that basically 24 seven 
and it is um I want to say it's costing me like a hundred to maybe $150 a month, which is pretty negligible for the power that Absolutely. it provides. Right. So, so, you know, so I know that people are going to say like electric, and then I think you have to sort of factor in, you've got electric. And then as you're drawing power, power is heat. So, or it's energy is heat and you've got to air condition that. So, but still, the number is 150 for like all of that. Like my energy bill went up 150. <laughs> so, so I know that's the number. So um, yeah. So almost, almost would say that's negligible, especially on something like that, where if you're renting it, I think they're renting them for like $9,000 a month or something. So the 150 is, <laughs> it's not really that much. And the, having the convenience, especially like, yeah, that thing's got, I want to say it's like 10 G um, so like just to transfer information back and forth and like the proper size data sets that you would be having on a machine like that. Um, it's pretty nice to like have it local and again, not everybody needs that, but yeah, it, having like, uh, like a 1080 TI or better local, I think is definitely something you want if you can, if you can get it, but I understand not everybody, uh, is fortunate enough to have that. And, that's why I put out the the box. I'm like, hey, I got this thing, and like we can fit pretty much anything you want on the box, because that together is 96 gigs of VRAM. We can do anything you want. I mean, even GameGan kind of fits on the box. It's tough, but it can be done. And if like if I ever get around to doing that MGAN with, um, I never, I never, I, didn't, I never got your opinion. I don't think on the like the uh, having like the marble and stuff. But that's kind of what I want to do with MGAN most likely that will wind up being on done on the box. Um, but you know, I was just fascinated yeah. by it. I, I didn't have anything. <laughs> to say. I was just fascinated by it. Just, just a okay. uh, thought experiment of it. Yeah. Can you think of something? Can you think of anything else that would be like maybe simpler or like, do you, have you checked out GameGan at all? Like, are you familiar with that project or? I saw your video and I read the paper enough so that I could probably uh, bring that topic up in this interview, but beyond that, I didn't play around with it. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, let me know if you think of uh, anything else that you think would be because my fear is just the complexity of the environment, really. But like, I was trying to think if you could uh, using your model from the GTA Five, just use that as trading data of some sort for the game gun. I'm not sure if this makes sense at all. Well, that's what we would use for the. Um, obviously, for like Gan Theft Auto, that's what we've done. But like, what I would like to do is like model. Um, like model, I would want to model something in real life. So I would record it with a real camera, you know, a stationary camera, probably top down. Um, cause then my, my end goal here would be to, to do that, train the model. And then later you could be side by side with your, so you'd have your keyboard and then you would literally, you know, press the turn, you know, tilt keys. And then you would just compare reality to the simulated and just see like, are these, are they the same? Did we actually simulate physics correctly? You know, as the marble navigates this maze and hopefully, you know, bounces sometimes, uh, you know, when it hits the wall and all these like little things. Cause like that was just, at least for me, like really shocking with, and I don't think it's really game GAN necessarily. So we probably um, with game GAN, there's certain aspects to game GAN that we like didn't, we couldn't really figure out. So there's like static and dynamic memory and then um, there's like th the concepts where like you should be able to like, at least for them, like leave a room and come back. And I guess they did that with 
I think it was Doom or you know was it Doom? I think so. I think it was I Doom. Think. Um, I don't I don't think we saw anything like that. Like like so we tried adding like towards the end we tried adding other cars. So we added some like police cars and stuff, and like those were very hard to mo- like get to show up and. If you like saw one, you turn around and turn around again is, is gone. It won't be there. <laughs> and so, so, uh, so we couldn't like, we couldn't figure that one out. And then um, I'm trying to think of what else we, I don't know, but, but the wall, but for example, one of the things that we did end up adding the training was walls. So you could, you can run the car into a wall. And if you run it like straight perpendicular into the wall, it'll, it even like as I was like recording the video, I never noticed this, but like when you hit the wall, the car will like lurch forward and like your view will lurch forward. And mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really cool, but it'll hit the wall and stay there. But if you hit the wall at like a diagonal, it'll tur- actually force the car to turn and drag along the wall. Um, so yeah, it was just really surprising to me when we saw like those kinds of like physics. Cause I think all they all game Gan did was Pac-Man and Pac-Man doom. I can't remember if they did anything else, but um, I don't think they did anything like Grand Theft Auto with like physics. Um, but I, and, but I, I know that there are like other GAN based game mimicking things and arguably you probably could have done all the same things we did with just like, it didn't have to be game GAN necessarily. I don't really know. Um, but certain things like that game Gan does really well or did really well was that like that aspect where you could like leave a room and come back and it would hopefully be in the same state. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's definitely a lot of interesting things there for sure. And I'm curious to see like, c- can you model either with game Gan or just Gans in general, can you model like real physics, you know, or, or, you know, to some degree physics, I guess. I'm just sitting here fascinated by all of these ideas. I'm just trying to consume or just like process all of the things you're saying because uh, it somewhat makes sense that this would work, but just still absorbing the fact that all of this is actually uh, somewhat working is, is really exciting to me at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's exciting to me too. I mean, I think we're, we were definitely both surprised that like how quickly it worked in the Grand Theft Auto environment. I mean, it was just, it was pretty surprising <laughs> it's just it was like immediately we were like oh wow that that was really well like it worked better i would argue that our initial results with like grand theft auto 5 worked better than our initial results with like the little room game the little 2d race car game um and that was just really surprising <laughs> like i just you would not have expected that it would work that well that quickly but it did and like yeah we we're like one of the other things that we never we didn't even get to find what was like the limit was like the roam range. So we just kind of like picked a, picked a slice of the highway and all the training data is on this slice of highway. And it 100% works on that slice of highway. And then we wanted to add collision into the wall and other cars that didn't really work very well. The walls works well, but the cars doesn't work. Um, but, and then we kind of, we basically ran out of time. So one of the things I'd really like to test next is can we increase the roam range? So one of the other like little details that I noticed that was being picked up is like, as you travel along the highway, you have like the mountains in the background and the mountains actually slowly get closer to you. And so, so again, that was like really shocking to me that like, wow. So like in theory, you really could, like you probably, we could for sure extend the range. How far can we extend that range and have the model really remember all of these things I don't know, um, but 
man, I, I really would like to find out, you know, like how big, <laughs> and then like, what would we need to do to get it to remember even more of this environment? Like how big of a neural network would be required to memorize like a mile of highway, for example, like, um, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's cool. I mean, I think like whenever I first read that game GAN paper I was like, wow, that's, that's really fascinating that you could like play a character inside of a neural networks environment like that's such a kind of backwards way that we're so used to ai in general it's like the ai plays in our environments but you're in an, in an ai's environment and then you kind of especially like when you've made these environments you know um like when people showed demos <laughs> they didn't show the the messy parts i'm sure that they saw and like sometimes it's kind of interesting when the when the gan gets a little confused and it gets fuzzy there's it's almost a challenge to like help it back on the track or find its way. And like, I remember with the Vroom game, one of the fun things was like trying to, um, sometimes the road would just disappear. And so you, if, especially if you like went off road and then tried to come back, sometimes the road just didn't come back, but then there'd be like little speckles of the road. So then you'd be like trying to steer towards it and like show, get the GAN to like, produce more road like because it would see the road and hopefully figure out that oh my gosh we're missing all this road and then add the road back so you it was almost like a game in itself to like get it back and i could foresee people like trying to confuse gans while they're playing just to like just to have fun you know and um but i also think like how it like after seeing like the pac-man thing and now playing gan theft auto like how is that not going to be the future? You know, like I see that, wow, that actually works. And that's probably going to eventually, like it doesn't yet, it's definitely worse than Grand Theft Auto and all the hard-coded rules. But if you remember the days of GTA 3, it just sounds like that because, you know, if you travel in one direction, if you turn around, the city has disappeared. Now you need to go back <laughs> and all of that yeah, is being rendered. That's happening today, right now in Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> so it's basically <laughs> let's not we talk about that, that game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think that's a great game. I I think that's like it's still that that is still like the it's the best game of 2020 in my opinion, and it's like the best game in the last five years. It's just not the game that was promised. But if you just can forget all the promises and just enjoy the the beauty that is that game, then it's okay. But yeah, I would like to see something a little better um, in that game eventually, but. <laughs> I pre-ordered yeah. it five years ago, I think four or five years ago. So oh, that's, no. that's why I'm disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're like, you're like Daniel then because yeah, he, he had pre-ordered <laughs> it. I don't think he's even played it yet. Uh, so he was like wanting to wait for the bugs to be fixed. And I'm like, they're not, that's not happening. <laughs> There's just so many. But, um, but yeah, it's like, if you have like, a, especially like the, like I played that. And then later I went back to, um, Red Dead Redemption two And I was like, Ugh, like, there's no <laughs> ray tracing in here. Like, this is disgusting. Like, it's so crazy. Like how quickly your standards change, you know, like, like that game, the Red Dead Redemption two game is like, it's an unbelievably beautiful game, but yeah, you're like in a house and you see that like the light is not working and you're like, oh, ugh, that's terrible. I hate that. You know, it just it's like immersion breaking now, whereas it really wasn't not all that long ago. But now that I know that, well, ray tracing exists, it's like, oh, man, that's like kind of ruined everything else for me. But uh, but yeah, I, I look at like Gan Theft Auto or Game Gan and I just like I wonder 
like how is that not the future like hmm. it might not be game gan it might not even be a gan but probably is some sort of generative model um how is that not going to be the future of games but also like software it just like all kinds of things i mean it's like it's really crazy and that's what really excites me about um just game gan in general and, and gans are cool but again it's not i'm not necessarily putting my hat in the ring and saying hey gans are going to be the future but I, it's kind of our first glimpse into, yeah. hey, you can actually interact with these models or these models can provide a service to you more so, more than just carrying around your boxes or more than just um, driving you around in your car. It can be more than that. You know, they, it can make the games for you. It can, make, it, it can make your programs. It could be your operating system. It could be so many things that I just think it's... Uh, like I said earlier, I feel like we're like on the cusp of um, just obviously machine learning for sure is, is clearly a new, a new thing. Um, now it feels like it's been around for a long time, but, but again, I look at stuff like this, I'm like, no, this is definitely like early days of the future for sure. So yeah, I, I think that's definitely some cool, some cool stuff. Same thing with like the GPT stuff. I think the GPT stuff I think is less cool because that's like in the hands of very, very, very few people. <laughs> like almost nobody can do GPT for sure. GPT three. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I worry a little bit about those kinds of things. Um, especially when it wasn't that long ago that like everybody recognized that you, there was no like benefit to making bigger and bigger and bigger models. Like there was a, there was a, like a, a nice period in time where like basically everybody got to play on the same playing field with machine learning and then, and then GPT happened, <laughs> and, then, and then it's like, oh, and then Transformers took over. Yeah, and then it's just uh, it's over. They've they've won again. Dang it! Have you considered creating a bot that auto replies to questions in the comments based on all of the replies that you've created? Just throwing this out there. I just thought of this. Uh, that's already happening. Um, uh, yeah. Um, uh, for sure, email, I, I would like to do that. But I think some people are unaware of a certain feature of YouTube. Maybe, I don't know if you have it. I, I'm not sure who all gets this feature, but it has like these like automatic responses that you can make. Have you have you had that on your email or YouTube comments or anything? Have you seen those? I, I think I have them, yes. For comments, I, I get some suggestions sometimes. And uh, initially those suggestions were not very good, but as time has gone on, those suggestions are quite good. I find myself clicking those fairly often. And um, that's another thing that like, I, man, I, I think you could have a philosophical talk on for hours because like, who, what, what is the response? Like, are, is that actually you responding or were you just like nudged to, make your response using that language, you know, like, so like if, if we, if we allow ourselves to like devolve into those, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. If we allow ourselves to click those buttons, um, are we, are we talking anymore? Or at some point it's almost like the, the machines are just talking to each other and like, we're not, we're just watching it happen, you know? <laughs> so like, sometimes I click them, but then sometimes I'm like, Oh, I don't know, man. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm comfy yet with having that happen because you know when you click it too it's like ah he liked that response and that that goes into the model that they continue to train and churn but then i think um shoot what was the name of that uh 
there was some Netflix documentary on um, on the like social media. Um, there's tons Black Mirror? on social media. Some Black Mirror episode. <laughs> Yeah, it was a, it was a documentary, but Black Mirror is a great a great show. I've seen every episode of Black Mirror. I like I definitely that's one of the best shows on Netflix for sure. Uh, but no, it was a documentary. Um, I can't think of what the name was, but anyway, the 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 premise or the point that they were making was like it's it's like this supercomputer that is like learning all about you, and like it just guy it's guiding you, and it's actually your learning. Like it's kind of like influencing you at that point. And so, yeah, I do worry about those kinds of things, like like clicking those boxes or like letting, mm. like if it was a, if it was a bot I wrote and I made, I might feel emotionally different than I do like just clicking Google's version. But it would be the same thing. It would just be like some machine has determined that this is a typical response I might make. But that's not true. On different days, like some days I'm a little saltier than other days, and so like, it's like you know, I, I there is variety. Like I don't have a homogenous response to to comments like it does vary and so uh yeah yeah i don't know i don't and like i said i don't know what to think those comments for sure are those have to be a gpt model so so they're definitely like and right now they're pretty basic like the ones that you showed are kind of similar to the ones that i have i've been getting some longer ones but um I, I i can see those going into the future same thing with like email responses like sometimes i get like spammy emails not spam but like emails that i'm just like no and like the automatic response is like no thank you or something like that and i can click that you know and i'll, I'll do that just to save time but give the person a response so they stop pinging me but uh otherwise yeah i kind of i kind of get nervous about those like automated things so i'm like where does this lead like because again it's like it's like with gantt theft auto i can see where's that going i can see yeah. well if that continues to improve that goes to a really cool thing but with these like automatic responses that you click, where's that go? Where's that headed to? Um, I'm not sure I like where that's going. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to be there. Like, I don't want to talk with people online and be like wondering, am I talking? It's like when you talk to, you know, bots on, you know, customer service, it, it eventually it gets annoying because yeah. you recognize yeah. that bot doesn't understand what you're actually trying to say or ask. And I think I, like in the future, if we're just doing these like automated responses back and forth with each other, um, like at some point you're going to be carrying on a conversation with somebody and neither of you are even aware that it's happening. <laughs> it's like, that's weird. I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> it's also about losing the personal touch. Uh, so I, I have a very small community and I really enjoy people leaving a comment and I try to talk to them. It feels like I'm not leaving these interviews out into a void and I'm actually talking to someone who's watched this. So I, I get to share that experience, at least for me, but for you, I understand that you can't reply to every single comment. So well, definitely like the, the like I don't I with the comments um, some of them I clip or I, I click when it's like a thanks or something like that like some of those are pretty good, um, but and then I usually like well like when I read a comment I'll click the little heart button and that just to, and the people have accused me of automating that and I'm like no that's me I'm doing it it's just I do it it's like my red now actually I think. I think now if you interact in any way with a comment, it'll um, it'll filter it. Like when you go into like your YouTube community section or whatever. Um, yes, but a yes, lot of time. Yeah. But that's pretty new. Like it wasn't that way for, for very long. I, I feel like that's like within the last one or two months. And um, so historically, I've just used the little heart as because I'll usually respond to comments on my phone. And so I'll just like pop open my phone and I'll just scroll down really fast. 
until I get to the, until I don't, until basically I start seeing that I've hearted comments and then I just, that's where I know I left off. So I, I just kind of go up from there. So yeah, I kind of feel the same way as you. I mean, I definitely, at some point in certain channels, I think get a ton of comments, um, especially if you're doing like if each, if, like it's, it's all, it's more so about like the number of comments that you get over a period of time, I think. So like, if you're, if you're posting, you know, a, a, a video a day, that's getting millions of views, you're probably getting thousands of comments. Yeah. You'll never respond to all of those. You're not even probably reading all of those, you know, so, so you physically kind of, can't with, with that amount of videos, you physically can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. But as long as you can, like I, yeah, like I said earlier, like I kind of like people say, don't read the comments, but I, I, yeah, I disagree with that. I think, I think there's a lot of benefit to reading the comments as long as you don't get hung up on the negatives. Like if there's a negative comment and you can like feel it in your gut, you're like, Oh, I don't want, like, you don't want to respond to them, but it hurts. You just remove the comment and it's like, Oh, who cares? <laughs> like it doesn't, it's not a big deal. You know, like, obviously you want to be careful. Like if someone has like a true, a good criticism, um, I think, I think you want to internalize that. Like, I think that's actually a good thing, but for sure, some people are just like trolling and some people are like legitimately crazy. Like if, if you, if you get enough views, you're just statistically, you will get some strange people. So, you know, that that's definitely going to happen. Just move on, <laughs> just accept that it's going to happen. And then, and that's it. But yeah, I, I think reading the comments and like interacting with your audiences is, is good. And like, same thing with like the discord. So like people, I see that comment all the time. People are like, I can't believe you're talking on discord. It's like, well, I'm just, we're just hanging out. Like, I just, you know, like, I don't, why not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like, like I, there's times where I'm not really busy or doing anything. And like, it's fun to come into discord, especially like during COVID, like the pandemic yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Like when we were like all on lockdown and I like, after like I'm in like month four, five, six, you know, <laughs> like I would just like, I'd go into voice chat and just like sit there and like wait for someone to like come down, you know? <laughs> and just hang out in voice chat because it was like oh man this is just brutal like not talking to anybody you know so yeah yeah i think uh i think getting like audience interaction is good especially like on any like form of artwork or creativity right like don't you yes. don't you want to see your feedback i mean like you want to know to some extent the likes and dislikes can probably give you a really quick assessment but i don't know there's a lot of like little stuff like little tips and stuff that i've learned from reading the comment section. So I think it's beneficial. And I agree with you. So like, I don't try to people are, and you, you say this on your videos too. people are always so kind and I don't want that going to my head. So whenever someone's like, Hey, this is amazing. This is awesome. I just like it and leave it there. Uh, hopefully no offense to anyone. I'm sorry if I don't reply. I just don't want that going to my head, but if it's a question or something like that, I probably try to interact. Yeah, I think, I think, that might, I mean, I, like, I just got done saying, like, I don't listen to what other people say to do with comments, but I feel like, I think like there was a time where like, I, I just started ignoring those ones too. Like I might give them like the heart cause I read it, but I just didn't really read them. But then you would read the negative one and the negative <laughs> one would piss you off, you know? And it's like, well, you're given the negative one all the, so then you're like, all your focus is on the negative comments and you're like ignored all the positive comments. So like, I, to me, like, I think if you're going to interact with your comments, you definitely want to like internalize them. Yeah. You want to like stay humble and stuff, but like at the same time, like don't ignore that. Like, that's like, a, that's like such a source of positivity that like, I wouldn't, especially if you're going to read the negatives. So I, I think everyone who's human, like when you see that stuff, like it, some of those things can really dig at you. And, um, 
and like occupy your mind. <laughs> so, so like if you read the pot, like it's good. It's good to make at least have a balance. I think of of those things, because I think at least for me, like I, I I'll focus on the negative if I'm not paying attention. I want to touch upon next is I know you've had some frustrating experiences recently with plagiarism, and at some point you mentioned you had 10, 12 income streams. How do you manage all of that? Uh, because I know you you love all of this stuff. You want to get to the exciting bits, but it's also your job to take care of all of these things. So, uh, how do you manage all of this? At least like nowadays, I don't have. like 10 to 12 income streams and like i'm not sure i mean there's times where i've had many of those income streams and like arguably it probably is 10 to 12 and you just don't recognize it cuz you've got like maybe a sponsor here and then you've got like like there was like i think like back in 2018 i was like oh you can make money on competitions and like so i did a lot of these like little competition things and um and like that's all income and so uh So like I, I don't it it varies like it just varies a lot like I'm every time someone asks me like what are what do you like what are all the things that you do for a living it's like well what year do you want to know about because it has varied <laughs> um considerably almost every year it's really only like 20 like 2019 2020 and now 2021 I've kind of focused more on um trying to make high like more higher quality type of content on YouTube doing the neural networks from scratch book was like a lot of 2020 in like it was like the end of 2019 when i saw the notes on neural networks from scratch and i was like oh this could be a book and then we kind of and like that like i never planned for that to be a book it was just like i think it was maybe november that um i wanted to um it was like the like the end of yeah 2019 where yeah we like decided hey we should make this book and then i think it was like january of 2020 when the kickstarter started and then basically that ended in like february i think mm-hmm. and then um and then basically like 2020 was like all about writing neural networks from scratch like the youtube channel like took a huge hit because like i was making like a video like every 3 months or something like that it was pretty bad and so So even like 2020 was like a lot less YouTube, mostly neural networks from scratch. And then um and then now there's like a lot more YouTube, there's like more like kind of like sponsory type stuff and then now I've kind of started looking into a, just a completely different side uh uh jo- like a healthcare related thing. I don't really want to talk too much about that right now, but um but something else. And whereas like in like 2018 for example i was doing a lot of like contract work like 2017 2018 i did a lot of contracting and consulting um and so it it really has just like varied a lot and like really i just try to like just like everything else like i'm just trying to like find what do i like what do i not like and like with You're contracting optimizing and for fun if i may Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great uh yeah, that perfect. And and like I like new things. Like I can't tell you how many times I've seen people say like, "Oh, you should be you should be like a professor." And I'm like, "Well, I don't think so because like if I was a professor, I'd be like mostly teaching the same thing over and over and over. And I don't want to do that. Like I like the liquidity of what I get to do where like I can just up and decide one day like, "No, I want to do something else entirely." Like I can't um like now like Daniel is with me full time so I some, to some extent I can't just like drop him but for the most part like I'm I don't th- I don't see myself leaving programming 
So like, I, I'd like to always like, he, he always has something, but will it always be uh, that we're doing like the YouTube channel or Python programming.net? Um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really know that. And like, those things are always changing, but I think the YouTube channel has kind of been a staple through, uh, through the whole time, but yeah, just juggling everything. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I'm just always working on whatever I'm interested in at the time. Like it's, there's not, I have like plans, like I make, you know, some outlook plans and stuff like that, but I don't shy away from tr changing that plan. And usually it's like, if I have extra time to take on like an extra project or something like that, like, then I'll take on that extra project, you know? So, and that's how things stack up or I need the money. Like when I, when I was first starting out, it was like, I got to plant as many seeds as possible so I can earn as much money as possible uh, <laughs> just to survive. And, and so it just, it does kind of like depend on like what my circumstances are. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, um, I think it's just, focus like doing things that I'm interested in. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's really all it's ever been is just trying to like find stuff that I'm interested in doing and trying them out for a little bit, see how that works and then go from there. And I just shared my screen to point out that as a professor, you'd probably be teaching a smaller class and your channel has gotten close to 95 million views. Uh, imagine putting those people on a screen and uh, just reaching to that audience is simply not possible while being a teacher in a classroom, if I may. Yeah. And, and that's kind of been my argument for a while. And like, same thing when like people want me to go to like a conference or something like that. And it's like, oh man, like a conference, you're going to spend a lot of time, energy, money going to a con. Like sometimes they'll fly you in even and like uh, get your hotel food, all that stuff. They might even pay you to go to the conference. But at the end of the day, I'm, I have to compare that to okay, well, what if I, cause essentially like, a, especially if you're speaking at the conference, you're going to, like, you're going to plan for like likely a week, you know, if not more, and then you go to the conference and yeah, you might, at least at like some conferences, the networking connections that you might make there are tend to be higher value than just your average YouTube view. So I get that to some extent, but I'm not really a B2B business, right? Like I, that's not really what we do. So I just don't see, and that's why you see so many people at conferences who are from some business and they get to plug that business and it makes sense for that because that helps with networking. Now that now all these business people have heard that name before and it just, and they've heard it in a good experience. Like it's a good, a good strategy for people to be sent by their business to a conference. But for me, I'm just not sure, you know, like I'm just not sure it makes sense to spend all that time uh, doing stuff like that. And yeah, the same thing is true with like teaching a class. You're, you're absolutely right. I wouldn't find that as fulfilling. I don't think because yeah, like I, I remember the, I did a video around 700,000 subscribers. I haven't even done a video on like the million subs thing. Yeah. Um, but like those numbers, those are like just insane numbers, like for a programming channel, like with the videos are not fun. Like that's not like it's they're interesting, but they're not like binge watchable. I mean, some of the, I mean, I get I mean, to it. To like, us, they are like to, to students of people who really enjoy that. Yeah. Maybe to like, I, I'm, I'm a part of that very small percentage though. Right. But then, exactly. It's a small, small group of people that are like, that want to spend their free time because no one had, I mean, there's some places that like use, use my videos as like reference material. And I'm sure some people use it to teach, but for the most part, no one has to watch my videos. So it's your free time to watch them. 
And the fact that like a million people, I'm sure there's some bots in there, but I know they, they filter out bots fairly frequently. So I, I think it's probably over time been about a million people have clicked that, like click subscribe. And then, yeah, like 95 million people who have watched, I'm sure a lot of those people click off at some point uh, or didn't enjoy it, but it's, it's, it's in the tens of millions that, uh, that I've reached. And like, I feel like you can't touch that with like anything. Like you could maybe like, if you're a Twitter or a Facebook or something like that, you like made those things and you're reaching like billions of people. Like, that's cool. I get that. Um, but yeah, but for someone like me, who's just like, basically I've been by myself pretty much this whole time and, until I met Daniel and I brought him in, but for like the two of us, like to, to do stuff like that, uh, and get that kind of reach, like, it's just not the same. Like you just, you, there's it, just something so cool about doing that. And like, I'm earning a living. Everyone gets it for free. Like nobody, like being a professor, I'm not thinking like, oh, they're paying, am I doing like when people say like, people will be like, will make comments that they didn't like a video or something like that. When I see that, I'm like, well, it's free. So you, you get your money back. You know, like, I don't know. There's just like, I feel like, uh, I, yeah, I, I think the reach is, is cool. And like, yeah, you just, you could never get that, you know, going to a conference or teaching as a professor at a school or, but you would get a closer interaction. Like you would get more, uh, like you would see people grow like individually. And so, so I think if you were a professor, you would, you would get, um, uh, like feedback in that way that I think is probably very valuable. I'm sure many professors, that's the value that they get is they see these, the students grow and they like actually get to see it. Whereas like, I don't see my viewers grow at all. Like I don't have any, uh, I don't have that level of interaction with them and I don't know how I ever could. So like, I don't get to see that. So I think I'm sure it's just different strokes for different folks sort of thing where like, they just, they, they get a value out of that. But yeah, for me, as long, like I said, as long as YouTube is uh, a viable thing, I, I just, it's so, it's just so worth it. What a great proposition, I think. <laughs> And I mean, uh, I'm sorry, I'm comparing you to me. I'll, I'll be comparing you to me. But uh, you also gives the strength to people like me. So I've, I've just started out in this area and I'm learning myself. I'm trying to use this podcast as a way of learning myself. And initially, it was just a non-monetized service that I would run for the community. But now at times, I'm getting enough sponsorship opportunities. I would just turn them down. But it also gives me the strength to just explore that because uh, if I have the money, I could probably make the channel a little better, probably hire an editor and just focus on different stuff. So you're also empowering people like me without knowing yourself uh, is what I was trying to get to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure like, I bet like the impact is even greater than you're even aware, but that's what I mean. Like as a professor, you're like, I'm, I'm confident that people have grown through yeah. watching the content. I know it's happening. I just don't see it. Like I'm not, a, I'm not aware of it. Whereas like, yeah, like a professor throughout the course of a semester probably can actually like see it happen, like see people become better. Um, so I, I think there's, there's definitely meaning there for sure. It's just, yeah, like um, the professor probably doesn't have a, a big YouTube channel. So yeah. they, uh, they can't make the choice, but at least for me, it seems like the YouTube thing is at least for me a more fulfilling also just like it's really fun for me like i like i said i just i do whatever the heck i want and that seems like a really good deal so, so i like it <laughs> so i've come to my second last question this is always the uh, a repeat question uh, you made a video on this don't worry be hacky but what's your best advice to someone uh, in their journey wherever they are in their journey what was the question 
what's the best advice to someone in the programming journey wherever they are programming or data science journey oh best advice to somebody like just trying to learn to program or or what what do you mean uh, someone who's just started out or even trying to make progress uh, like any spectrum of uh, learner oh wow oh that's a very general question um <laughs> i think um i think probably it's just work on like build like build things like like i see this question all the time of like um i need to, like people ask for project ideas and um that's such a wild question to me like when i see somebody ask for a project idea it's like well like it just doesn't compute like i to me just think think about um what it is like why did you like when i see that question i always ask like well why did you learn to program what did you hope to be able to do with programming and okay do that right <laughs> like that like i'm not going to give you project ideas like you these are things like you should be sitting around and they should just pop into your head and you just want those things to happen like you want to make something a reality and like that's what your project should be and so i think at least for me i have found all of my success in learning something by having something uh that i actually want to achieve like i would i almost like like that like my latest python 3 basic series it, what like my main attempt there was to show people like you just just spend like 45 minutes on basic stuff and then get the heck out of here like don't <laughs> just stop learning the basics because I, like you'll learn to program yeah. um just just do it just start building stuff and like you really don't have to be a great programmer to build really cool stuff and and like that's kind of like we, we didn't we kind of touched on it briefly but like that's that's how at least for me that's how i learned to program was like i wanted to do sentiment analysis i couldn't i didn't know how to do it how to even get started i didn't even know what language to choose but there was the nltk book and i just went through that book and that book kind of had like the first few chapters was like an intro to python but it was like an intro to python kind of in the sense of like doing stuff with strings and just natural language processing and like boom i i learned python that way but i was all but i did, i don't even know if i finished the first few chapters it was just like okay so this is how i interact with python cool cool, cool. and i flip the pages and i go to like what i want to get to right and like i'm not i just i don't think and like i see like a question a lot about like can you give me a roadmap to becoming a and I see these videos, like people make video because people want that content so bad. <laughs> and it's like, there is no roadmap. Don't follow a roadmap. You're just wasting your time because like you're going to, um, no offense if you have a roadmap video. Uh, I do not. <laughs> okay. I've considered um, them, but never made one uh, for the same reasons. <laughs> now you cannot. <laughs> um It's like no one's roadmap will be the same. Like you're, you don't need you're not going to need all the same prerequisites. Now there are certain things where like what, like web development, like web development in Python was almost the hardest thing for me to ever learn because like harder, I think than, than deep learning even, because it was like, I didn't know, okay, which, which thing is the Python thing and which thing are we doing because of um, like WSGI or something like, oh, I didn't know, like, I just didn't understand. <laughs> and so, so like, to some extent you, you have to have a foundation to like do certain things for sure. 
but I just, I think the best thing to do is just get out and like take steps. You just take one step towards your goal, take another step towards your goal, take another step. And like certain goals might be so big that you have to split them up into little sub goals, but just take those steps. And each time you're confused or lost, you just, you don't skip it. You stay there and you figure out what the problem is. And then you just continue on. And especially in this world where there are, you could come to my discord, you could go to the, there's like the programmers hangout. There's an official Python discord, there's stack overflow. There's like literally no excuse to like <laughs> move on from a question. Cause you can't find the answer. You, you can definitely ask a question. Now there's an art to asking questions and you yeah. definitely don't want to be like, just solve my problem kind of question. But if you're just honest and like, um, you, you, you approach it, like you're not just trying to abuse people to just like write code for you, then I, I just, I don't know. I think that the best way to like learn stuff is to just simply do it. And so like, again, for me, I think most people would have told me, Hey, don't, don't do sentiment analysis. Like that's like, what, what you're going to start programming with sentiment analysis. Like what the hell? And I think that, but it was perfect for me, but is it going to be perfect for most of people no. like what a terrible, like most people are going to fall asleep thinking about those things. So you should, it should just be like whatever you're interested in. So if you want to get in, get into like data science, for example, like, okay, well, what do you want to do with data science? Right. And then like, if it's machine learning, cool. It's like, start working on stuff, especially like data science. I would go to probably, probably Kaggle or some of these other places where you can like play with data sets and like literally learn from like a community of people and see what other people are doing. There's stuff like that. Um, if you want to like do web development, go do web development, like go make some websites, like make a personal website, make a, make like your, uh, like a portfolio website. You're going to need it probably. So like make those things, um, or make other websites that you're interested in. If you want to make games, go work on games, but probably, uh, forget about Python, change the language. Uh, but, 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 uh, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think that's probably that's that's my long-winded answer to uh, advice. <laughs> I'll definitely. Just, I, sorry, I just gonna say, just just start coding. Just that's all. Just go. <laughs> After this call, I'm just gonna write on my wall. So this is the studio. This is my work desk. But I'll write on the wall. There's no roadmap to what you love. Uh, it's that's <laughs> such an amazing answer. I have a rapid fire for you, so uh, I'll request you to answer in one word or one sentence. Uh, is that okay? Are you ready for this? Oh man, I don't know. Uh, as long as it doesn't have to be quick, I, I, I'm ready. Uh, one, no is it one I, word, one word, or one sentence? Did uh, you, I swear you, you said there, there, there are no rules. One word or preferably one sentence. You can go longer if you want. Okay, okay, let's do it. Uh, dream bike, dream motorbike. What? what, Mo- what uh, say it again. Sorry, the dream motorbike. If you had to. Oh. Work. Yeah. Uh, still the Daytona 675. That was my last motorcycle. It's the best looking, but it, I'm going to use way too many words now, but Go the it. answer is one word, Daytona 675. The why is that it was the, it was a, I want to say it was like a three cylinder, but the, but it would be like, I, I've, at some point they ruined it kind of, but the one that I had, I want to say was maybe a 20, uh, what year would that have been? Maybe a 2007, 2006 is the one that I had. I just think it's the most beautiful yeah. I almost think of the one that's being shown might've even been it, but yeah, like I had, um, I had a red one just kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, just the, in my opinion, the best looking motorcycle besides obviously like the, some of the Ducatis and stuff like that. But, uh, 
yeah best looking best sound like the sound of that um that bike it had like this almost like this whistle to it but not an obnoxious one. oh just the best sounding and best looking bike that uh, just that the best one awesome uh dream car uh, that you'd want to race in that's a hard one <laughs> yeah that's really tough i'm uh well i it would have to be the i have a the track car that I have right now is a 911. It's a it's a manual. Uh, it's like a 2009 manual 911 S, and mm-hmm. you can race that. Like you can race that at the club level. Everybody there has the the. Uh, I forget what those. Are. There's a name for it. It's P PDK, I think, but it's just paddles essentially. But it's like Porsche's version of paddles. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody you'd be competing against has PDK, and you'd be on manual. So it really isn't very fair but it's the club level. So everybody sucks anyways. So probably, uh, probably, I think that would be cool. That would be a cool car to race one day. Um, but almost all race cars are really cool. So I, I just like, they're all just so like, just, it's like, it's like planes, like planes are just cool machinery or even like computers, like cool hardware. Like, I don't know. I think that there's just almost all of them are really cool. So I don't know, but probably, probably, the track car i have now that'd be the coolest thing i think to race one day awesome uh you have a lot of fascinating stuff in your room i've seen the not flamethrower i've seen drones what's your favorite thing in, in that room if you had to pick just one Ooh. well now it would probably be the the million sub golden plat or at well right right at this present time my favorite thing is the dgx station but the they're they're taking that away from me for some reason i can't, <laughs> I, can't I don't understand why but I don't um, either. <laughs> man, that's tough. That's really tough. Um, possibly, well, behind all that stuff, there's like the smaller drones. I actually kind of like those. Those are like the, probably more fun to, they're definitely more fun to fly than like the larger drones. Um, and those were all like built by me. <laughs> and so they're kind of, they're kind of silly, but they're also, they don't have, um, like the like nowadays you buy drones and they all fly really well despite wind conditions and all this like they're all just so smart whereas those drones they go about 60 miles an hour and they uh have like literally no safety features <laughs> and, and they're just they're just they're absolutely wild it's all it's all yeah. unleashed yeah yeah and so i think those are probably my favorite thing because they're at they're just absurd like i I just bought the highest powered motors i could find and like just kind of soldered everything together and it works but they you it takes so much skill and i don't have there's no like fpv on those little ones and so it's all fly by sight or line of sight rather and uh it's so challenging especially like when anybody who flies drones i'm sure understands but like when the drone is not angled at a a nice angle for you to understand like you're doing all this math in your head to fly it (laughs) so and then it goes so fast and it maneuvers so like the term i would use is violently like it's so aggressive when there's like no safety features no stability control stuff um yeah pro- probably those because they're just they're they're really dumb but the flamethrower is really dumb too i think that <laughs> i think people probably don't recognize how gigantic of a flame there is there is a video of it on the on my instagram of like, i've seen the it first time. 
I was like, oh my gosh, I almost like if the tree above me was a little drier, it might've caught fire because it was just like that flame is so big. And like, even the video doesn't quite like, I I feel like it doesn't quite capture in person how big it really is. And uh, yeah, so that's also pretty absurd, but my one word answer, small drone or small dash drone. Awesome. Uh, final question. This is sometimes really hard for people. Uh, favorite game of all time, or you could pick two: one for nostalgic purposes, and one from the current releases. Uh, favorite games. Oh boy. Uh... Oh no. Um... <laughs> okay, so the nostalgic game would have to be RuneScape right like that was just like my childhood i learned like i I learned about like online business i learned about just business and like i learned so many things like that game i'm sure people people who play mmo rpg games can probably relate like you i learned you learn a lot about like people (laughs) like like and like all these like large social interactions and then also like um like scamming like people like i learned so much about online scams through that game like and you see these scams all happen you know like um like trust scams and exit scams and like all these things i learned as like a 12 year old like i experienced those at such a young age and then now like especially with like crypto blowing up like we're re-watching all these people fall for scams that are like age-old scams and these scams obviously existed before uh runescape of course um, but like, uh, yeah, probably that game for nostalgia. And then for like current age or like current games, Ooh, that's tough. I, I probably the game that comes to mind is, uh, space engineers just simply because like, I like the, like the, the physics environment of that game and like the building and like the, like, I don't know the strategy of building, I guess. And yeah, I, I think I'd probably go with space engineers for that. Um, my only gripe with space engineers is like, you can't, um, you eventually want to build it so big. Like you want to have the, you want to build a city, like eventually, like it's, it's basically a game for anyone who doesn't know you like build, like kind of, it's kind of like Minecraft for adults, uh, for mature adults. And <laughs> here come the dislikes. I hope you enjoy. Um, so um just kidding. We're all kids on, on space engineers as well. Uh, but yeah, it's like you build things like blocks at a time and stuff kind of, and then there's a little, there's enough engineering to it. It's not totally brutal engineering, but there's, there is a lot of engineering aspects that come into play. Like your ships, you have to build them intelligently. As you pick up supplies with those ships, they get heavier. You got to think about all these dynamic things and um, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's just a really, it's a cool game. It's a probably a decently educational game. Um, and it, it's fun to play, play with people. We are actually like, we've been trying, we got sidetracked. I don't know. We've gotten sidetracked so many times, but we, we've like, we went out Daniel and I, uh, to, and actually Daniel's the one that's building the server and is like building like a dedicated space engineer server. So initially I was hosting space engineers. Um, but the, like the getting back to game Gam, uh, the physics engine is while very impressive on space engineers, it's like single threaded. So it's just like, it's such a struggle <laughs> to continue building out and like having more dynamic environments and scenarios when this, the entire physics engine is a single thread. So, um, 
so anyway so we, we we're trying to like set up this like dedicated server with the strongest single thread cpu that you can get so eventually hopefully we'll have that again we had like a kind of a, a discord space engineer server for a little bit and then we shut it down because it just it got so laggy um and then so hopefully hopefully this new one we don't, i don't know when we're gonna finally like get it done and released but we've done a lot of work kind of setting it up and uh probably get back into that so I, I hope I wish somebody would come up with like a, a really good like like game like Space Engineers, but focus more on like letting you build massively. And I know already I know all the little 12 year olds are like, that's Minecraft. But, but, but it's uh, yeah, it's just not quite. I don't know. But I, I can't get I just can't. For some reason, I can't get behind Minecraft. Uh, it's, and it's definitely not the same as like space engineers, but I, I, but a game like somewhere like, like Minecraft, but just space engineers theme, I think maybe that would be the best, but for now it's space engineers. <laughs> this has been such an amazing window into your life. Uh, the strange thing for me was you, you were talking in one X speed. Usually I watch your interviews in two X speed, uh, sorry, your videos in two X speed. But apart from that, thanks for such an amazing conversation. Uh, for my audience, you already, I'm sure they know already, but you send decks on YouTube, uh, you send decks on Twitter as well, and pythonprogramming.net would be the best, uh, I think, platform to connect with you. Any other places I miss? Um, I have, uh, yeah, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, all of those are, yeah, all Centex. Uh, awesome. Thanks so much again for your time and for sure. such a transparent conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give it a review or feel free to shoot me a message. You can find all of the social media links in the description. If you like the show, please subscribe and tune in each week to Chai Time Data Science.